Blog Talk Radio.
Hey, good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Bastard News uh, Radio Show on the Bastard News Radio Network and WCOM in Carborough, North Carolina. We thank all of our affiliates and everyone listening everywhere, which we'll get to um, in just a few. Uh, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Press 1 to get on the line. Uh, if you have a question, you can hit us up there. The chat room is also open. If you have a question in our chat room, and uh, you can also uh, hit us up on Facebook at Pad Nation, or Pad Nation 2 at Twitter. We're on Instagram, and of course, uh, uh, we are on Facebook Live. We'll be on Facebook Live uh, shortly. I want to bring in my first guest. Uh, good to have him on. It's been a minute since we've had him on, but it's good to, to finally get him back into the fold. Uh, he is, of course, uh, coming uh, live uh, this evening to bring his knowledge. He is a professor, an adjunct professor of legislative politics, specifically uh, region, religion and politics at George Washington University Graduate School of Political uh, Management. He is Quadrigas. Uh, Driscoll and and Mr. Driscoll, we appreciate you coming on this evening, sir. Great, thanks for having me. It's good to be here again. Absolutely, thanks for uh, coming on in this challenging time that we're in. I uh, wanted to have you on to talk some politics, uh, specifically with the guy occupying the White House and um, the recent, uh, you know, team on the Democratic side. Uh, for the uh, presidential campaigns. Hopefully they'll have a chance to win in November. But I want to start with the guy occupying the White House. That would be one Donald Trump. Uh, A couple of things about him. The first thing is he signed some executive orders, as you know, um, last week. Now, I really want people to understand what this means. Um, you know, he he put forth a order to pay uh, federal uh, unemployment monies. First, he said 400. Of course, the Dems wanted 600, and um, you know the White House and Republicans were say 200. So he said 400. But then he put a condition on it, saying that states would have to pay 25% of that. Then he comes back a couple of days ago, if I'm not mistaken, and, and his his uh, people said that, well, if if states had put in a hundred, we'll put in three hundred. That'll make it to four hundred. Yet they so it it almost seems like they're going to be paying even more to do this. Explain how the executive order works for people who don't understand the civics of this country. You know, Congress has the the purse strings, um, and this president signing the executive order doesn't mean that, A, these things are going to take place, and B, um, even if they do, they're really not essentially helping so many people who are not working, who are struggling to pay their bills and keep food on the table. Right. I I think that you have outlined it really well. Um, You know, the president signed these executive actions, uh, I believe last weekend, sort of faltering the evictions, pausing the payroll tax 
and giving unemployed people more money to live on, which poses the question, what can they really accomplish? Uh, that's a question Americans are seeking sort of urgent financial assistance are, are hoping to, to be answered, right? Uh, unfortunately, however, uh, these executive orders don't mean much. Uh, the orders cannot do that at the end precisely because, to your point, Congress controls not just the first stream, but Congress controls taxation in this country. And when you're talking about halting evictions, when you're talking about ensuring that people have economic stimulus, when you are talking about ensuring or pausing, which is what he proposed in one of those exit orders, pausing payroll taxes, that's not up to the presidency, right? This is, this is basic political science 101. Uh, we know that the executive branch sort of enforced the laws. It's Congress that makes the laws. And in this case, what the president tried to do was sidestep Congress, sign, sign an executive order. And, and to be clear, only one really was an executive order. The other two right. were memorandums. So that's a whole other conversation, but I don't want to get into the, the, the weeds on that. Um, so right. the, the memorandums and the executive orders really doesn't really do anything. Uh, and I think, you know, the American people really need to know that. And unfortunately, what Congress, particularly the Senate, has already said is that they're going on recess until September. So essentially what that will mean is about in four weeks, the American people will still be without any sort of economic stimulus. The evictions, unfortunately will continue to commence, and there will be no relief. This is the type of national leadership that we have in our country. You know, that's a great point before we get to some of the, the other things he signed, like you said. Um, if the, so that the Senate Republican run uh, will, of course, take this time off because they not only – don't want to deal with this, but they're, I think, essentially running away from this president. I think they essentially see the writing on the wall uh, with him, and thus they're trying to take cover. But the Congress is run by Democrats. So shouldn't the Democrats be out in front coming back or making sure that they set up these town halls, even if it's virtual, to say, listen, this is what we wanted to do. This is what we proposed. They already came down a trillion dollars. Um, but this is what we want to do. This is what the president is trying to do. It's all political. It really has no weight. It's really not going to help the American people who are struggling uh, with this pandemic and everything else. Um, and and they make the case. And not only that, it, he may have, Quadriguez, it may have scored a short-term political Point, if you will, because now it puts them and even Mitch McConnell and that caucus there in a bind because they have to come. They definitely have to come up with something. Um, they they certainly can't take him to court. I mean, they can because it's unconstitutional what he did, but they certainly don't want to do that because that will make them look bad. But uh, make the case for them that they have to they, they have to speak up and speak out about this. Um, because he kind of put them 
sort of in a corner, so to speak. No, you're 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 right in the sense that he he has placed Senate Republicans in a threshold here, right? Uh, Congress will effectively have passed nothing, uh, and that that is the entire Congress. So that is the House as well as the Senate. The Republican-led Senate has literally dragged their feet for months on this aid package. And so to your point, the Democratic-led House of Representatives passed sort of a $3 trillion relief plan roughly around mid-May that the Senate Republican leaders really did not match or have anything really to offer. It was then when Steve Mnuchin, who is the U.S. Treasury uh, Secretary, as well as the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to the White House, were in negotiations with Senate Republicans and with the Democratic leadership in the Senate. And unfortunately, those negotiations did not end well. So really, the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, has been engaged in these conversations and has, to your, to your point that you mentioned, pigeonholed Republicans in some ways where they have just decided to go on recess, which is typical. They usually go on recess during the month of August, but go on recess while leaving no deal on the table or even making a deal for the benefit of the American people. Uh, what they should have done, of course, was cancel the Senate August recess and continued with the deal, but that's not what exactly happened. And Many of them in the, the Republican-led Senate are in vulnerable seats, or at least toss-ups. Uh, David Perdue of Georgia, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, uh, Susan Collins of Maine. Uh, and so rather than them coming to an agreement on this bill, they have decided to effectively to end and to, to continue with recess and go back home and do the best they can with campaigning. I'm not exactly sure what that will look like to the American electorate, but I do hope that they are paying attention because what they should have done is stayed in Washington until they got this critical piece of their job done. Is that just as a sidebar, you know, do you really think Lindsey Graham would, is in any kind of trouble? I mean, you know, South Carolina is very, you know, say what you want about change and seeing change and, and, and how, you know, young people are making these changes. And, um, but South Carolina is still very, um, Republican. And I know they have, they have a, a strong, um, black candidate running against them, but do you really think that he could and will lose? Well, Jamie Harrison, who's the first African-American chair of the South Carolina democratic party, uh, in, in South Carolina is his running mate. And what we do know is that uh, political pundits and people who do polling for a living has now declared South Carolina as a toss-up state. To your point, South Carolina is still very red. But right now, Graham was polling, well, let me say he was polling ahead in double digits. But the fact that he, the fact that he is in a considerable the, the toughest re-election fight that he has ever had, I think, says a lot. And so it says something about 
the moment in time that we're in, it says something about what's going on in South Carolina. It says something about what's going on across the country. So it, it's not necessarily a matter of will he actually lose. Quite frankly, I don't think that he will lose. But I do he is in a tough fight right now. And Jamie Harrison, as well as other Democrats across the country, are giving these Republicans in these safe states and these safe districts whom we have presumably assumed that they would automatically be reelected. Now that is not the case. And so Lindsey Graham and David Perdue, as well as others, are having actually now to campaign and to show what they have done while they've been in Congress. And I think that does say something, and it does speak volumes. Hmm. Well, hopefully he will be. He's been one of the most – um, egregious uh, proponents of the former administration and 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 been a um, uh, you know a a friend of the guy occupying the White House among other things up there in South Carolina that we can complain about. Talk about uh, uh Driscoll. He's an adjunct professor of legislative politics, specifically religion and politics, at George Washington University Graduate School of Political. Uh, management here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, the Bachelor News uh, Radio Network, and WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, let's let's look at another uh, part of what the the president has, you know, failed at, and that is the coronavirus. Now, everything we know that this guy has been in office, a to pad his future pockets and his investments and everything else, but B, also to just for everything that former President Barack Obama has done and has done well and has been good in in terms of policy, he's tried to um, take away or just undo. and he's been very critical of him, one of, one of which is how, you know, he said it basically put COVID-19 on the former administration saying they didn't prepare them and went on to say a lot of different things. But if you look at the Ebola uh, crisis, that pandemic, as um, Senator Harris and, and the vice president nominee Harris said that, you know, President Obama and Joe Biden, under their watch, under that the pandemic, it, only two people died. It's two people you don't want to see die in their families, of course, but only two people compared to 162,000-plus, you know, people in this country dying now. And the failures are there. So I, I, what I don't get is other than people are just devoutly racist or extremely religious, how anyone could even in any poll could show that he's handled this thing perfectly. He denied it in the beginning, sort of like how Reagan denied AIDS. He denied um, that he he said it was going to go away. He's had China had it under control. He's talking about all these different uh, remedies and things you can take. Uh, He, he, he refused to wear masks. He told people they didn't have to. He still wants 
the uh, NFL and all these pro and colleges to go back and play. He wants kids to go back in school dangerously in, in different districts across the country. Yet he still polls good enough where he can go in November with a chance. Why is that? Why do people not understand uh, how serious this this is? You you deal in that, that area. Why is it that they don't understand and they don't want to follow the the uh, the medical professionals with this COVID-19? Well, quite simply, they, they don't believe the seriousness of the novel coronavirus. Um, so it's not that, that they don't understand. They simply choose not to believe. And because they choose not to believe, they believe that it is a conspiracy theory. Um, some believe that it is, it's media propagated. Uh, some believe that it's just the government's way of controlling thought. Um, and, and this is, I will say largely, this is across race, quite frankly. I, you know, my home state of Georgia, I was just there, and I, have, I saw and heard from black people who didn't believe the hype, right, when we clearly are, are dying from the numbers. Just this morning, CNN, I saw a Latino woman uh, who was talking about how she and her husband, who were both Latinos, Latinx, didn't take coronavirus seriously because they just thought it was media hype. And unfortunately, her husband ended up dying from it. So it boils down, to, and I tried to stop understanding until I understood that it's a matter of belief. They don't believe that this is real, and they will not believe that it is real until it directly and personally impacts them. It's the same thing. When we saw Herman Cain, who I knew well, I shouldn't say well, but who I did have the opportunity of meeting on several occasions, when he died from coronavirus, there were those, particularly within the conservative mainstream networks, who refused to believe that it was a direct result of Herman Cain attending the Trump rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right? We we, mm. we don't know that certain that, but we do know what we do know, of course, is that Herman Cain got on a plane. It ended up in Tulsa, and we saw a picture of him and several others without a mask. Now, he could have gotten the virus anywhere from the airport, of course, or even at the rally itself. But yet right. still, they refused to believe, right? So if we were to translate this into religion, it's, it's a, it boils down to a matter of belief. Either I believe in a higher being or I don't. And in the case of this virus, there are those in our country who simply don't believe. And because they don't believe, they are not good neighbors and thus risk my health, your health, and everybody else's health by not wearing a mask, by being completely insensitive to the fact that people have died, or to your point about racism, they label it as a black or brown person or person of color disease, no different than the 80s when they labeled HIV as a gay person's disease. But I have to ask, we've had, um, I've had conversations with people on this broadcast before as it relates to black people. I mean, it's one thing that we support this man occupying the White House. It's one thing. There's another thing that they support him and, and buy into this virus being a hoax. When did we become 
that kind of people. Why why do we um buy into some of the some of the, the the very things that this country has put us through from a racial negative standpoint. In other words, when we have we have some people who uh black people who say, you know, uh I'll just give you an example, Mexicans are taking our jobs and this and that. Well they not only were saying that back in, you know, four or five decades ago, they still say it about black people. Yeah, we buy into that foolishness, you know. When, when did we become that type of, of, of person, Quadrigas, in, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, buying into, in my opinion, an American dream that doesn't seem to want to embrace us now? You see all the protests now, you know, this perfect union that's not perfect, you know, this uh, this situation where it seems as though, you know, we we have our, our share of the the pie, but the pie is really tainted and it's really not uh, conducive to us being successful in this country. You know, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who was a famed historian at Howard University, wrote a book about 1933 called The Miseducation of the Negro. And the, it, it was a pivotal then, and I think it's still pivotal now, because he right. challenges the reader, right, to ultimately do for themselves. And, and history shows that it, it does not matter who's in power, but those who have not learned to do for themselves have to depend solely upon others and those who are privileged to do or to, for their livelihood, right? That's kind of the premise of his book, that when you control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. And, and that's kind of a paraphrased quote from, well, this is mm. precisely why we have African-Americans, uh, oppressed people, black, brown people, who buy into such hype and misinformation because not only are they are miseducated, but they, they don't have a vision beyond themselves. And, and yes, one can contribute that to the systemic powers that have kept us oppressed for these many years. But when you refuse to get the facts, when you refuse to learn from yourself, for yourself, and when you refuse to take the, the thesis and the antithesis of anything – and synthesize it for your own self, which is what education is, then you are miseducated. You don't really have an opinion. Well, you have an opinion, but your opinion is not rooted in facts. And so that is what we currently have, unfortunately. And I don't think it will subside anytime soon because that's one could just say overall that is the human condition. But my people have passed away from a lack of knowledge. Yeah, and I I, I want to come back to that um, that the statement and, and and what you you said, which is profound. Um, and and Carter G. Woodson, as you mentioned, um, what he said it it, it 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 to me speaks to a self hate gene. Um, Rodriguez, 
that we seem to have. Um, and some people would even say that it, it goes to, um, part of it goes to, I don't want to get too deep, but part of it goes to the fact that, you know, um, integration was one of the, in some cases, one of the worst things that ever happened to us. Cause we remember we had black ball, uh, wall street. We had the Negro leagues, we had businesses thriving. Um, and then integration came in and it, we had this sense of, you know, uh, self-worth or, or lack thereof and, and wanting to feel like if we fit in, then we're on the level of, of white people. And it seemed as though, you know, we felt like we were inferior, both in ourselves and in our products and in our businesses and everything else. And that seems to be part of who we are and, and where we are in some instances today. Well, you know, I, I always take a step back of caution to, to romanticize um, segregation or, or even um, – romanticize currently what we have now, which is supposedly integration, um, because the same sort of miseducation uh, we had when you look within the confines of um, the enslaved ancestors and in enslaved communities, right? Um, you, you had those who wanted to be free and who were determined to be free and did everything that they needed to do to be free, but then you had those who were afraid, right? And we, we know the slave narratives, and we've seen the, the, the major motion pictures about uh, Harriet Tugman and, and, and all that. So, you know, there, there is at the core of, of humanity something in us or in certain individuals mm -hmm. that says regardless of the circumstances, come hell or high water, I am determined to learn, I'm determined to be knowledgeable, I'm determined to be free. And then there are those of us for various numbers of reasons that are not. And so whether it is, you know, segregation, whether it is the current where we are now in terms of integration in this multicultural, uh, multinational society, or even looking at enslaved communities, right? And this is this this is transatlantic. This is across uh, cultures. This is across religions, even. That there is always something that is ingrained in says this that man is determined to be free. But then there is something right. yet, whether the, it is the social constructions around us, that we have a fear of what that newness is whether that newness is enlightenment or education or whether that newness is freedom. You know, um, I, I want to ask you, um, before we get to uh, Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris uh, in terms of their, their uh, quest to, to be the next uh, administration, I, I do want to follow up on what you said and in a sense of, when we 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 look at the determination of of being free and the determination of of of, of black people um do you get a sense that you know s some of us get it, it, 
I, I guess humanity, all all humans in some some shape or form, uh, all races have a uh, a sense of staying in our lanes, staying in our zone. Um, it's not my problem. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. Um, as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, I can't worry about anything else. My kids are fine. My house is fine. I got mine. Um, and when you see these protests now, Rodriguez, where people are out there saying enough already, we tried it. You know, it's like when you get stopped by a police officer. You put your hands up, they shoot you. You keep your hands down, they shoot you. You get out of the car, they shoot you. You stay in the car, they shoot you. What do you want? So people are like, okay, enough already. We got to bring forth change. And like you saw um, black people there in in, in Georgia uh, that didn't believe the virus is real and it's a hoax, there are people like us that feel, you know, well, this is too much. It's, you know, people are notoriously passive aggressive. They don't want change. They don't want confrontation. They just want to stay in their lane. And we've we've seen that with our own people. So how do we get our own to understand that you don't have to be on the streets to protest, but you should be engaged in somewhat, whether it's, you know, on on social media talking about an, another police shooting, killing an innocent black uh, or brown man or woman or whatever your, your, your way of showing that you're a part of this community is more important than just, you know, sitting on your hands because now it's not the time. It's you either on, on one side or the other, it seems as though where this country's going and we have a lot of black people who don't want to get involved even at the most minute level. Absolutely. You know, the country and really the world uh, memorialized Representative uh, Civil Rights icon John Lewis and C.T. Vivian, but, but John Lewis particularly a couple weeks ago, right? And he said it in his, his letter uh, to, to, to the country. And his life, of course, was a testament, a testament to the fact that it's not just social movements alone but it's social movements and electoral politics or voting. It's both and. And I would take that a step further and say it's whatever sphere you find yourself in, we all have a responsibility to advance the cause of justice. Paraphrasing Coretta Scott King, struggle is a never-ending process, and freedom is only one in every generation. And so wherever we are, whether you are 22 or 92, you have some level of network or sphere or influence where you can advance the cause of justice. Everybody does not need to be in the streets marching and protesting, right? Quite frankly, that's a younger person's game. And I'm not terribly old myself. In fact, I'm a millennial, but I'm not out there marching in the streets. But so you, you have that, but you need people even not of who are of the same skin color or culture, but who are of like mind, right, we, who have, where we have white allies or Asian allies, you need them in the classroom. You need them in the, the boardroom, right? So we need to be in every sphere of 
society, whatever that sphere is, and we need to be advancing the cause of justice. And not just advancing the cause of justice, I would go as far to say we need to be moving the needle of justice. And whatever that Mm. looks like, so ensuring that your space, if you're in the corporate or if you're in the classroom, ensuring that you are teaching from a diverse aspect of materials, and it's not just all Western constructions or Western thought. If you are in the corporate boardroom, ensuring that black and brown people are at the table, or if they're not at the table, ensuring that their interests are represented. So again, it's not this and or, but it's both and, and we have to stop thinking that there's only one avenue or only one method that we can find ourselves in when it comes to advancing justice. And we can't live in symbolism either, too, Rodriguez, correct? I mean, oh, you know, no, the other absolutely. side, they, I, I, they I, live I, in symbolism. We, we can't am, live in that, that world. I, I'm so glad you, you mentioned symbolism because I've gotten into a lot of trouble um, publicly and personally from friends of mine, and I've said this on national television and publicly. It, it's not that I am not against. Actually, I am, in some ways, I'm sort of ambivalent about a lot of these Confederate monuments and statues that have been taken down. I'm sort of ambivalent about the Black Lives Matter Plaza because, in my view, while these symbols and these tokens or gestures are good, it does nothing to advance the cause of justice. It does nothing to put food or an economic stimulus in the mouth or pockets of a mother who has four children who's struggling to provide for her children in Southeast D.C., it does nothing. It's good, and it makes us feel good in that moment, and I don't take away how feelings and symbols can inspire. But if we're really talking about moving the needle here, then we need to point towards Netflix, who made the prudent decision to put 2% of their billions of dollars into black banks. Right? We need to talk about the billionaires who have made considerable, generous donations to historically black colleges and universities for black and brown and other students to get an education. Those, in my view, are really advancements towards justice versus the mere symbolism. Symbolism is good and it's meaningful and it means a lot. But we also, to your point, need to move beyond the symbolism. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Oh, I I was just. Oh, sorry about that. You said said you were talking about symbolism, um, uh, the the core of 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 the the real companies that are uh, are doing it, rather than and, and you know like uh, to, to your point um, when you were, you were talking about it. You know the the NBA they 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 have this Black Lives Matter on their courts you know and they're playing in Orlando on the on the courts and the players have different uh, slogans on the back unity and race equality and all these different on the back of their jerseys the NFL is going to uh, start their season with the Black National Anthem Lift Every Voice I mean those are all symbol things but they have no substance. And that's what I'm talking about. We can't get in caught. We can't get consumed by that and go, okay, you know, that's just the, 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 that's that's like them saying, okay, well, you got Barack, you've arrived. You have Barack Obama, right. you must be equal now. 
and we we right. we have to be very careful, and that's my point. We have to be careful with these these symbolisms that think that you know because they throw something out there. And money's not the only thing either. I mean, money with some structure, putting some infrastructure into that that money that you know some of these corporations would would donate to organizations and cities and 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 different uh, nonprofits. You know, it's it just we have to be very careful uh, because the other side and people again who want to stay in their lanes, Quadrigas, um, they're quick to say, okay. Nothing to see here. You got it. The protest should be over now. Everything's done. You know, we passed a couple of bills. John uh, Lewis um, voting rights bill, and that's enough. We have nothing else to do. We've overcome. Right. right. No, I mean, you make very excellent points. And, and what I was uh, saying before there was some minor hiccups is that you're absolutely right. Symbol, symbolism and representation is vitally important. But it cannot be all. And, and sometimes my concern and even critique and criticism is that we get so enraptured and engulfed and enamored by the symbols that we forget the real substantive policy solutions that need to accompany those symbols and that representation, right? So – Yes, we and I applaud right Netflix for putting two percent of their billions of dollars into African American to black banks. I applaud the billionaires who've given generous donations to HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, as well as other social justice nonprofits. But to this larger structure, we need those same individuals and companies to also help to advance the cause of justice by tearing down the systemic structures and institutions that are in place that continue to keep people oppressed. Just today, I, and I didn't read the article, but I read the headline that the billionaire Robert Smith, who gave the, million, the $40 million donation to Morehouse by paying off the graduates' student loans, said that corporations need to be responsible for providing reparations to African Americans. Right? That was the headline itself. That, in my view, is not only just symbolic in the statement alone, but if corporations were to honestly and realistically take such a step, that then gets involved with breaking down the systemic structures that are in place to keep certain people oppressed. And so, yes, we need to embrace the symbolism and celebrate it if it makes you feel good, but we also need to champion and be critical of the symbols and yet champion the legislative policy and systemic changes that need to happen as well. Because my fear is, though, if Biden and Harris is elected, which that is my hope, but the fear is that African-Americans and other oppressed groups in this country will simply go back to a level of complacency until the next black body is shot by state-sanctioned police or something else egregious happens. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more um, with, with that. If you're just joining us, we're talking with uh, Quadricus uh, Driscoll. He's an adjunct professor of legislative politics, uh, politics specifically uh, religion and politics at George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management uh, here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, the Bachelor News Radio Network, and WCOM in Chapel Hill. You can see him on – he's been on uh, multiple uh, TV shows, too, on – 
on cable news as as, as well who get to some of his uh, contact info. Um, so Joe Biden picks uh, um, Kamala Harris, the senator. She, of course, made her run and got out of the race. Some people said she was the, the presumptive uh, vice president nominee anyway, that he was going to pick her um, safe pick, not, you know, way over to the left. Certainly, I wouldn't say as progressive as they've been trying to make her. Um, but a couple of things. Number one, do you think she was the right political pick for her? Would you have picked her if you uh, were in that position? And then number two, I think, you know, people are forgetting, you know, they talk about her being the first black or African-American. Uh, of course, I, I take a little issue with that, but, you know, Asian and, and all of that. And they, they give a lot of credit to Hillary Clinton and his ceiling. And I guess they forgot about Shirley Chisholm back in 72, the first black congressman. I mean, if she, she was a, ahead of her time. Nobody really talks about Hello. Hello. And Rodriguez, I, I do apologize that we lost you somehow there. Um, yeah, I'm back. I was asking it. Okay, now I was asking how much of of the pick did you you like, and I mean, was that the right pick for him, the right political pick? Would you have done that? And as I mentioned, they mentioned how. You know, she's uh, standing on the doorsteps of vice president. They mentioned a lot of Hillary Clinton, but they forget about Shirley Chisholm back in 72, who won first black woman in Congress. And, of course, she made a run for presidency herself. Right, right. You know, you're – so let me just say this. I'm a fan of Senator Harris. I've been a fan of Senator Harris. Uh, Would I have chosen her? Absolutely. Uh, But there were other – uh, other qualified uh, women, uh, black women specifically, that I also would have chosen. Uh, but but let me just go to Shirley Chisholm for a second because to and you kind of mentioned this. You, people are talking a lot about uh, Senator Harris and her her background. Um, the fact, of course, that she is a black woman. Uh, she is daughter of immigrants from Jamaica and India. She's black, but she's also Indian. She's African-American and Asian, all right? She's a woman and a graduate of Howard University, historically black college uh, in, in D.C. Shirley Chisholm is also the daughter of immigrants from Barbados and from British Guiana. And so mm-hmm. we, we somehow conve- conveniently forget that Shirley Chisholm was black, but Afro-Caribbean, no different than Kamala Harris, at least one aspect of her identity is Afro-Caribbean as well. So, you know, we we have this tendency, which annoys me greatly in the black community, of parceling out who's black and who's authentically black. If you don't like Senator Harris, don't like her for her policies. But we do not have a monopoly or we do not get to decide who is black, particularly 
particularly if you come from oppressive circumstances. Because the reality is none of us of color are privileged under the thumb of oppression. So I just wanted to get that out and leave it at there. But I think Senator Harris, listen, I think one of the ultimate reasons, aside from the, the personal reason that Joe Biden has stated, and the, the personal being Senator Harris's connection to uh, uh, Vice President Biden's deceased son, uh, Beau Biden, uh, I think that was the overarching tipping point, really, that led him to choosing her. When you look at her record, her, her record in particularly when she was the attorney general of California and even as a district attorney, she has been on every level of government uh, possible. So she has the experience that I think is needed from the state to the local to the national level, right? And I would say when I look at least the 11 candidates that I'm aware of that they were vetting – that sticks out in my mind, the experience from the local, state, and national level uh, that I think Senator Harris comes with. She, again, you mentioned the sort of multiracial background. She comes, she can culturally, she's biracial, she can identify across uh, different demographics. But I, I think it is her record as a prosecutor, quite frankly, and I think it's her record as the state attorney general that really will appeal to a lot of suburban women voters, and to be more specific, white suburban women voters. I think those same moderate suburban women voters who may not like Trump from a moral perspective, and quite frankly, they're kind of tired of him, I think they would look at somebody like a Senator Harris, who is also, to your point, moderate, who has a law and order background, but I will say in some ways have sort of redeemed herself in the Senate with some of the legislation that she has sponsored and, and co-sponsored with her questioning of certain uh, Trump appointees. And so I think she has a comprehensive and holistic record that both will appeal to black and brown people, but also to those moderate suburban, again, white women voters particularly. That's enough to sway them to vote for the Biden-Harris ticket and ultimately to win the election. And I think all of that went into Biden's calculation of it when he chose Senator Harris. Yeah, let me just say this, too, for um, – and I've got one more question. I'll let you go. Um, a couple of things with the pick. Um, I personally wouldn't have picked her. I, I thought a couple of um, people would have been – better suited for me at least and 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 my my opinion um but certainly i understand it from a political standpoint um she is a moderate i i i, I looked at her record and i know some people in california she she wasn't too friendly to to black men and and incarcerations which i have an issue with um but aside from that um i but think I what, I think we, we, you know, we criticize her for doing her job as a prosecutor. We, we, you know, should we criticize her? And with the reality is we need black district attorneys, right? We need black attorney generals. And so, but at the same time, we can't, and, and we can't pretend as if she didn't create a recidivism program to reduce, uh, excuse me, to reduce recidivism 
with regards to incarcerated people who were new released, she she actively put programs together when she was the attorney general and when she was the district attorney. And so there's catch-22. We, we need black DAs and attorney generals, but they will criticize them for doing their job. Hello. I um uh, yeah I'm here I do apologize. Um I I I understand that the only thing I'm I'm saying is that uh, when you uh, look at that record, um, you know it's 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 just one of those things where you you want to be a little more in a better position to to make better decisions. I, I think she came under that that three strikes are out. Uh, momentum that was really, quite frankly, extended through the Obama administration uh, in the sense of uh, maybe not the, 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 the complete policies, but a lot of the extension of what Bush put in place and even Clinton put, put in place uh, was extended that, that law and order moderate California that was going out there, very Republican, is going Democrat a lot now. Um, but to the point of, of, of some people feel like she was a safe pick because, you know, she's involved, she has an interracial relationship. Um, you could make the case for President Obama with some people in terms of the mainstream. In other words, white folks uh, don't feel as threatened um, with fair-skinned people or people who are in multi or in interracial relationships. I mean, that's they. If, if you or I are as dark as, they, as she is, if we ran, they they have a problem with it. They feel threatened by dark-skinned people. Um, that's that's. I mean, just doing the the research on it. I mean, they just they feel like that. So some people feel like she was picked for the wrong reasons and not on the merits that you talk about. Um, and and that that's something that's been mowed around, which brings me to um, Representative Clyburn, who, you know, I, I have an issue, and a lot of people have issue when he, he proclaimed Joe Biden as, you know, an honorary black man. That's just like Arsenio Hall saying Bill Clinton was black because he played a saxophone on his, his show. Um, do you have any concerns about that and that we are led by um, – uh, we're historically led by one or two people who say vote this way? I mean, you know, Democrats and black people have gone hand in hand for a long time. Uh, certainly, there's no difference with with Joe Biden, um, and we we the, the the feeling is that we don't think for ourselves. We think, okay, we're born, we're Democrats, so we vote Democrat no matter what. You know, with few exceptions, ten percent or something along those lines. Maybe George Bush had a little more in terms of blacks. Um, but what do you think about that in terms of how we follow certain people? Um, and and just we're just presumed to be um, Democrats, and and if you know white politicians have been taking our vote for granted. Well, I think the Democratic Party has largely been taking African American votes for granted. Uh, hence, again, it goes back to the conversation we had moments ago regarding miseducation of the Negro. Um, don't vote straight one party ticket. Look at the issues. Look at how the candidates. 
quite frankly, fair on those issues. So when it comes to Senator Biden, excuse me, uh, Senator Harris and, and Vice President Biden, Senator Harris's record mirrors Joe Biden. They both are moderate. It is not this issue. Right. And, and yes, yes, colorism is real, and we know how colorism affects Western society. But I'm not going to have that conversation because we already know that. But we have to look at, despite that, what this woman brings to the ticket. She brings her multiple identities, and she brings pluralism that appeals to multiple groups. So old guard Democrats will get in line. The youth vote might very well be in jeopardy, but boomers are excited by her nomination because it ensures that the groups who are already going to vote will go and vote anyway. So this ticket will win enough with moderate votes, especially, as I said, among suburban mothers in middle America who appreciated her law and order stances as a prosecutor. And while Republicans might try to run her record through scrutiny, it will be troubled by the very issues that Republicans for years have campaigned on because she presents, in my view, this very balanced law and order to your point to this conversation of when she was a prosecutor and attorney general, but also the criminal justice reform and vocal advocacy that she has done while she's been a senator. So what do they need to do? Final question for you. What do they need to do and where do they need to focus on? Um, certainly their message is there. They came out this first 24 to almost 48 hours and the, the numbers are good. Their fundraising is good. But what do they need to focus on to defeat this guy, especially in the midst of, you know, him controlling the, the post office and, and trying to suppress mail-in ballots, something that Republicans have been, you know, uh, using to their advantage for forever. So he's, he's sort of shooting himself in the foot somewhat. All right. So what they need to do, I think that um, they need to really focus on the devastating impacts of coronavirus on communities of color uh, and help really demonstrate that to voters that with right and even, dare I say, moral leadership, uh, we can certainly get this virus under control and return back to some level of normalcy. I think they need to talk about how they could, uh, particularly given both of their very uh, uh, blotchy records with regard to criminal justice, can talk about how ways in which uh, the protest activists can work well with um, the local municipalities and cities within our country to bring about comprehensive criminal justice reform. I think those are issues they need to talk about. I think they need to also talk about and, and really appeal to the issues that young voters care about, right? So when it comes to, again, as I mentioned, the criminal justice reform, but also in environmental issues, uh, I think they need to continuously talk about uh, those issues. And I would also say, I think in some ways, minimize Biden's uh, FaceTime with the camera. We all know that Joe Biden <laughs> is prone to gaps. Some of those gaps, even his most recent ones, uh, were saying that African-Americans were not as diverse as the Latinx community, uh, can very well perhaps set them back. And so if you, I think if you put both of them out as much as that can be difficult in this virtual world now that we live in, but get both of them out there as they were when they 
rolled out the announcement yesterday have them both talking about issues, those criminal justice reform, the environment, uh, the devastating impact that COVID-19 has had on uh, communities of color. I think those things within itself would lend not only just communities of color turning out, but also would appeal to those moderate voters, again, moderate white voters specifically, who are on the fence with regard to Trump's policies, but certainly don't like him from a moral and ethical perspective. It will win over those votes, and then we would have a Biden-Harris presidency. Well, I certainly uh, want that. Uh, then that moron that's in the uh, uh, White House. Before before you go, Rodriguez, uh, let everybody know um, how they can follow you um, on social media, sir. And we appreciate your time. Well, the best way to follow me is Q underscore Driscoll, D-R-I-S-K-E-L-L, or, and that's my Twitter handle. Well, listen, I appreciate you. This is the second time. Let's make it more times. Uh, your insight and input, uh, you be safe and be well. We'll talk with you soon, sir. Absolutely. Thank you and be well. Take care. Quadrigas uh, Driscoll, he's a junk professor of legislative politics, specifically religion and politics at George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management. Take a break. I'm going to uh, switch gears. I'm going to talk to uh, a couple of my chief of police friends. We're going to talk about mental illness as it relates to um, uh, law enforcement and should they, should people feel sorry for them and doing their jobs. Uh, quite frankly, we'll talk about that in just a bit on the pad. Stay tuned. In the U and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro.
Welcome back to the show on WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, WCOM there in Carville as well. The Bass News Radio Show on the Bass News Radio Network. Thanks to our guests. I want to go back to the phones and bring in one of my good friends. He is the co-host of You and the Law that airs every uh, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on blogtalkradio.com. And, of course, the rebroadcast you can hear at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. on thebachelornews.airtime.pro. If you missed the live, you can go to the rebroadcast. He is the one and only Chief Keith Humphrey. Uh, Chief of Police in Little Rock, Arkansas. Chief, I appreciate you coming on, sir. Come on, L.A. Anytime for you, man. I appreciate you, man. I, I thank you, and uh, hello to all the listeners. Uh, and or should I say swag, since that's what your your co-host? Uh... <laughs> well, no, 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 you, you, no, 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 you, you, you good. I, I just made that a requirement for for Virgil. Okay, uh, we, we'll definitely uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> Chief, you guys did a show um, Tuesday, and I thought it was really, really um, important and, and, and unique. And, and but I mean, your show is unique in itself. You are two black police chiefs talking about real issues, whether it be police brutality or some of the things that people need to know when they're getting stopped. Is is real talk, and I truly appreciate it. And that's why um, we love to have you on on the network. The chief, I wanted to ask you um, about the conversation you had regarding, you know, mental illness and stress that law enforcement goes through. So before I get into some of the, the nuts and bolts of it, um, tell us what's in place, you know, generically, maybe specifically to your agency um, mm-hmm. that your officers can utilize when they go through stuff because you know uh i've often said on this show you have some bad apples but i don't think any of of you um including yourself sign up to be you know um psychologists and and uh mediators and everything else other than just enforcing the law but you have to take on these other hats and roles when you are dealing with the um the public in a lot of different instances. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, LA, there, there's always been, uh, you know, for a long time, the only person uh, that law enforcement officers would trust, uh, it was always go to your minister. Uh, but then you have officers who don't, uh, they may not belong, they may not go to church, uh, they may not have a minister. And so, you know, it, and then it got to the point where, where you're a big boy, you're a big girl, just deal with it. Uh, you know, you just been involved in a shooting, or you've been involved in a in a, in a very uh, emotional incident. We we'll just deal with it. That's part of the job. And what we saw, we saw a lot, a lot of uh, PTSD is not new to law enforcement. I mean, it's been in existence for years. Right. We just didn't call it that. Uh, we just basically say there's nothing wrong with you. Just suck it up. You're a police officer. Deal with it. You're tough. This and that and the other. And so that's one of the things that I've, I'm so thankful for President Obama. Uh, setting forth the uh, 21st century policing and the and the 20 and the pillars and that sixth pillar talks about wellness. So for the first time, there is a guideline to how we get to that point. Not the physical wellness, but the emotional uh, and the mental wellness. And so what you're seeing there, LA, is throughout the nation, many police departments are implementing internal wellness programs. 
uh, outlets for officers to have that person or that resource to, to get the help that they need, whether it's related to on-duty issues or off-duty issues. Now, there are a lot of cities that have the uh, Employee Assistance Programs, EAP. A lot of law enforcement officers don't trust that city process because they believe it's not a confidential process. And what has happened with a lot of the states, they've had to write state statute uh, to help um, make these wellness programs confidential. Now, it doesn't mean if an officer comes in and tells you they've committed a crime that that's confidential. But if somebody tells you, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed, I've, I've done this, I've done, that's confidential information, and that we have a responsibility to see what resources we need to provide. So that's that's one of the things that we're doing here in, in, in Little Rock. The other thing that we're doing, I'm looking to hire a full-time uh, licensed counselor uh, to help internally. Uh, when we have those officers that might need to talk to someone right then and there, and also for our internal, our external partners, which are our homeless and our mental health um, community, so we'll have um, uh, someone there to talk. So, so it goes both ways. But yeah, we're we're finally realizing that we need an outlet. Finally. You know, it, it's you you talk about it, you know trying to put those things in place. Do you think that? Um, the stress of the job, uh, and, and which leads to a lot of, uh, you know, issues with officers, and they don't have that, you know, that place where they can go if they're not religious or or what have you. Do you think that they that tends to lead to why we have some of these these bad apples or the shootings, or they're just bad apples? I think both. Uh, I think that there are individuals that have seen so much go on and they have so much in their personal life going on and in their professional life, they don't know how to separate the two. I think that can evolve into a problem. And then I do think you just have people that just have problems. They're going to have problems no matter what kind of assistance they get and they're wearing badges and carrying guns. So I think it's both. But I think for the most part, you have individuals that don't know how to get get the assistance. And then you have coworkers who basically say, well, that's their problem. I'm not going to get involved in it. And what and what we see also, L.A., you've heard us talk about this. There are police officers out there that don't have an out. So everything, every, every, all they breathe, eat, and sleep is police work. When they're on duty, when they're off duty, they don't have an out. They don't have hobbies. Uh, they don't have. They don't spend time with their families. Uh, they're estranged from their families. They're estranged from their friends. This is all they. This is all they do, and and that can be dangerous too. And so what we what we've seen LA is we're starting to get into the into the academies. We're talking about wellness. We're talking about the emotional intelligence part of it in the academy from day one, so that we can have these officers understand when they are going into crisis, it's okay. You're not going to be terminated because you're going. You feel as though you're going into crisis. What's going to happen? You're going to be terminated if you don't do something about it. And so I think that. Both we have individuals that it piles on, and we have individuals that they bring their their uh, their dirt with them to to the job. Just joining us, we'll talk with Chief uh, Keith Humphrey, Chief of Police in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, Black Police Chief. I want to emphasize that uh, only to the to the fact that some of the conversations we have are very candid, and uh, I really appreciate uh, Chief Humphrey. And and over the years, he's he's been very a, a straight shooter. I, I appreciate that. But you're listening to the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill. 
Chief, there are some people out there that, you know, quite frankly, in our neighborhoods that that don't trust the police and just follow where I'm going. Um, Certainly where I grew up, we didn't trust the police, quite frankly. I mean, we've seen too much, um, you know, uh, just a lot of stuff that are, quote unquote, off the books and what they did and some stops. I had a, a gun put to my head before. Um, you know, and, and, and even your own law enforcement, black law enforcement has been harassed. We see it now on social media, certain uh, uh, officers are talking about they've been stopped. Um, and thank God they had the uniforms that they might be dead. Um, so that, that aspect is there. So you, it's, it's probably going to be hard for, for civilians, especially those who are victims of police brutality to have any empathy or sympathy um, for law enforcement that is stressed out and going through some some mental is, issues, and you talked about PTSD. Uh, how do you is that a fair assessment? Is that even fair for people to feel like that, especially those who have been through these type of uh, atrocities and in some cases uh, heinous uh, uh, crimes and murders uh, of these families, these victims. You know, L.A., in a perfect world, I would say uh, that citizens shouldn't feel that way. But knowing without, you know, knowing that the things that we're seeing on TV, knowing that the history that there has been in law enforcement and minority communities, it is very difficult for somebody to say, uh, hey, uh, I feel sorry for them. I mean, how do you how do you feel sorry for someone? And, and, And I'm just saying I'm not saying you shouldn't. But, you know, you're looking at the average person, you know, you look at just think about the George Floyd family. Uh, if it were to come back or say that, that this, this person that killed George Floyd uh, had a mental illness, I mean, how do you expect family to to feel sorry for him? How do you expect this family based on the actions? So I think a lot of times it's uh, people do see us as superhuman. Uh, people do think that we should just shake things off. Uh, we're at a point people do not want to hear that there are uh, levels of mental illness in law enforcement. There's PTSD. But you know what, L.A., at the, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Unfortunately, uh, it's taken a lot of things to happen for us to get to this point. Like, and I go back and I say, if it, you know, oh, President Obama revealing this, getting that that, that committee together and, and basically coming up and saying – what about officers? We, we, we talk about how good you should look in uniform, but you know what? You could be a fifty a $500,000 Rolls Royce. I drive you out, but the engine is broken. You know, you look good outside, but the engine is broken. What do we do to fix these guys? What do we do to make sure they look good internally? What do we do to make sure they're thinking healthy? And so this, 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 this 21st century policing has caused chiefs and the law enforcement professionals like the nobles National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, IACP, have caused us to put that in our curriculum over, you know, and talk about it. So there are those individuals that you shouldn't feel sorry for, but there are those individuals that realize they're, 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 they've got some issues and they're trying to address those issues on their own without people until, before they get to that level. I've had two young men on my organization that realized that they had some issues and they basically said, I can't do this job, and I need to resign uh, before I hurt somebody, and I need to fix myself for myself and my family. I respect that. I wish many more would do that. 
Yeah, that's being very responsible. And, you know, Chief, when you look at it, you know, we keep it on the black. Um, it, you know, I, I part of me feels, you know, that that if, if you're going to have any empathy or sympathy for uh, law enforcement, it's, it's got to be for black law enforcement. You, you sent me an article on how a black uh, um, organization, black, you know, law enforcement organizations, you know, challenge uh, Attorney General Barr um, with this denial that there's no issues in the rank and file across this country when it comes to policing and bad policing and that it needs to be addressed and and fixed. We'll get to that in a second. But um, the other part of it is, you know, some of those officers that maybe are not out there, black officers are not out there, maybe brutalizing black and brown people they're standing by and watching it they're enabling yeah. it by saying nothing so yeah. it's got to be it's, it could be difficult though for people you know seeing people that look like us but then saying well you know you you know you ain't doing anything you seen the white boy the white officer doing this to these these people and you yet you say nothing so i don't feel sorry for you either yeah it, it, it is and, and you bring up a good point and, and I'll, I'll tell you you know, LA. Every time I think we're we're digging ourselves out of this hole, it seems like we get we we dig a little bit deeper and fall a little bit deeper. And and that that's that's correct. When you see uh, a uh, the situation with George Floyd, I keep bringing that up because that's a situation that everybody saw. They witnessed. You can't sugarcoat that. You can't make excuses for it. And you had three other officers around, and. Nobody intervened, but now you hear later that somebody was saying, well, maybe we should do this, but there was no actual physical attempt or a a strong attempt to have this person stop. That is a concern. And so then when you come back and you have the union say, well, this officer suffered from PTSD or whatever, nobody wants to hear that because you had three other people out there that could have intervened to, to, to do something and they didn't do it. So, so you're right. It is difficult for people to say that I have empathy for you. I sympathize for you. They do have a difficult time based on what they what they're seeing, their their experience with law enforcement, uh, and then people say, "Well, is it a, is it an excuse to get away with it?" I'm telling you, we have more officers now coming forward since we have laws on the book that make it confidential, and the fact that you can't utilize that stuff against them uh, if it's not criminal. We do have more officers stepping forward now and saying, I do need help. Can I have a leave of absence? Uh, We have more supervisors recommending or directing people to wellness and and peer support. So it is is working. It it is working. And we're having more officers say, I can't do this. We're having officers, we're having recruits before they even get started in the academy saying, I can't do this. I'm not emotionally. We're having recruits while they're in the academy. I can't, I'm not cut out for this. So it's working. People are starting to realize everybody can't do this job. And that's what we need. You're just joining us. We're talking with uh, Chief Keith Humphrey. He's the chief of police in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Show, on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and WCOM in, in Chapel Hill. Uh, chief, we one of the other concerns, I guess, for especially black law enforcement is the fact that you see this um this this wave of you know law enforcement uh, officers resigning retiring uh, some of which having this 
uh, what do they call it? This uh, the blue this flu issue with it. The blue flu, where they they, they want to resign or they're just going to stay out because of the blue flu because they feel like they're being targeted, which I think is laughable. And the ones who want to st- uh, stand down and, and re- retire are probably the ones that are doing all the bad stuff anyway, but I digress. And then you have, you know, again, the the rank and file, the mainstream of, uh, you know, police in this country that are, you know, maybe not necessarily siding with the guy occupying the White House, but certainly feel like they're being targeted. Um and and then they, and then you have the ones that feel like this defunding this word defunding we'll get to that in a second uh, is is hurting them and maybe even hurting their salaries so they're retiring so uh, is there a peril right now amongst uh, law enforcement right now they seem as divided as we see people in this country as it relates to race is is is, is law enforcement in some some deep trouble right now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say deep trouble. I think you're seeing reality. Uh, I think that you're what we're seeing is uh, you don't have very many chiefs like me in in, in, in Virgil uh, who, who 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 tell the truth, who tell the the story of law enforcement and the history. Uh, and there are just a lot of these individuals that have never experienced anything like that. You know, you think about this. Let me just kind of paint a picture for you. Ferguson, Michael Brown. That was really kind of an isolated incident that you had a little bit of the of the sparks throughout the country. Okay, um, we have never seen in the lifetime of many of the people, maybe the baby boomers, um, but definitely not the new generation of millennials. Uh, this most recent generation, they've never seen anything like this. And so you, you take the fact that you're from a small town; it may not be very diverse. And what you're seeing is you're seeing people coming together to stand up against the police and to stand up against um, oppression against by police officers. That scares people. There are individuals that are afraid. There are individuals that basically now think, oh, oh I'm going to be revealed. My, my true feelings are going to be revealed. There are those officers that who just feel like nobody appreciates them. There are those officers that just realize this is not for me. And so I think you see a lot of it. I think you, and then you just have those officers that are just straight up they they are racist, uh, and, oh. and and that's a bad combination to be a racist and, and carry a gun. Uh, there's a difference between implicit and I try to explain this to people. Everybody has a form of has implicit bias. We all do. It's the explicit bias that concerns me. The explicit bias, and so what you have is you have those individuals that that LA they are afraid to talk about diversity. And, and the minute you bring up diversity, or they feel as though diversity is being pushed down their throat, or they feel like diversity is overshadowing uh, what they believe is impo- other important discussion, then that chief of police is a racist, or the chief of police is trying to make the department something that they aren't. So now what you're seeing, now you're seeing officers leave because of that. They believe the chief doesn't support them. They believe the mayor doesn't support them. And so I think you're seeing the question you ask. I think it's yes to all. I think it's I think it's yes to all. I think you have those individuals who have who realize it's time to retire. They've done their 28, 20 to 28 to 30 years. You have those individuals that basically they're young enough to get out after 20 years and do something else. And you're having those individuals that they can't do what they want to anymore. 
They're being questioned about everything they do. You have to be able to articulate. And let's just this you you weren't able to articulate before you did what you did anyway. So so there you're trying to make right. me articulate and and, and 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 make it make you know trying to make me help people understand why I did and I don't understand why I did it myself. So I better quit before I get myself into trouble. And then you have those individuals like like the the guy in Minnesota, the the, the person in Minnesota who killed George Floyd, who has issues all along. It was just a matter of time before he killed somebody. Hmm. Which the, the whole uh, law agency there should be on the fire for allowing him to stay on on the force, uh, acting like a Klansman with guns, but. You know, uh, but LA, let me let me it, let me ask you let me ask you just something real quick. LA, why would you not why would you not stay on a department when you know that you have an organization that's going to get your job back? That's going to, that's going to that's going to hire attorneys. That's going to fight to get your job back, no matter if you're wrong or not, because that's just what's supposed to happen. Why would you not Why would you not stay Why would you not continue to be a police officer when you know you have nothing to lose? Uh, in some cases, yeah, and I and I up until a few years, I thought baseball had the the best union, and you, I mean, they was the strongest. But boy, uh, you can't you can't fire an officer. I know we talked off air about some stuff that you had to deal with and stuff, and it's this it's astonishing. But you know, it's it's it, this whole. The, I want to go back to what you said real quick in terms of you know officers feel like they're you know not appreciated and. You know, quite frankly, um, Chief, there's certain jobs, you know, and careers that when people go into it, and, you know, people will criticize me for saying this, that you you know what you're getting into. So I I mean, everybody wants to be appreciated. Everybody wants to say you're you're doing a great job. But if you're not hearing that, you're still supposed to do your job. I hear, and I'm not, I'm not anti-teachers. Lord knows in this climate, my my kids <clears throat> was driving me crazy being home. So I, I got a, a better appreciation for teachers. But in some cases, some teachers, you know, feel like they're not appreciated. But you knew you were underpaid when you were going into it. So you're going into it certainly for love. And it's, it seems like the same thing with law enforcement. You know, you know the, the risk and dangers and the fact that you're not just going to get the bad guys. You got to break up fights. You got to deal with arguments. You, you know, you rescuing animals and you're all over the place. So, you know, it seems to me, Chief, it seems to me that law enforcement people know that when they take that oath um, to uh, serve and protect, that they know it is some stuff going into. So, uh, as much as like like I said, I think people should get a, a pat on the back and hey man, you're doing a great job. It's good for your morale and your 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 all of that. Some of us have to humble ourselves and know that you know this is what it is and you know that that's what you signed up for. So this this whole notion of feeling woe is me because you're not you're feeling underappreciated. Well, I mean, you're law enforcement, all right? I mean, yeah, am know- I wrong, Keeper? No, no, you're you're right, LA. And, and 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 I see the I see the concerns of the officers too. But I think what I think what we do in law enforcement, we focus so much on the on the vocal minority. And when I say minority, I'm not talking about African American or, you know, people of color. That vocal minority that we hear that's always in our ear. 
We right. focus and we take things. We take things personally. I'm telling you right now, police officers take things more personally than any other profession that I've ever seen. They take it personally. Um, mm. When 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 if they hear, um, you, you know, if, if they hear one person say, if if the chief says, and, and I get this a lot. So as a police chief, it's very difficult for me to actually go and tell somebody, one person, hey, you don't need to be driving fast, okay? Because if the, if the police chief does that, you're picking on me. You're retaliating against me. So if I put out an email to say, hey, I've been noticing there's been vehicles driving, ex- you know, with excess, you know, excessive speed, just remember, be careful, this and that and the other, then I'm, I'm going to get it both ways. I'm going to get it. Well, he's accusing us of driving fast. Or well, why didn't you say something to the person that's doing that? I mean, it's it's instead of taking right. it as he's just he's just saying be careful. That's the message. Just he's just saying be careful. It's well he's he's fussing at you or or he's lumping us all in. We 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 do take things personally as law enforcement officers, and I don't know how to how to how to how to cure that. But we we do we 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 really is we and I tell my officers go back to the basics of why you got into this profession. It was to help people. You're not going to receive praise every day. Even when you do the right thing, you're not going to receive praise. Do the job. Do the best job you can. Do the job that you're trained to do. Do what you were called to do. Your your praise will come. It, you don't have to get praise on everything we do. The majority of the officers out here in L.A., they don't even want people to know some of the things they do. They buy groceries for people. They pay people's utility bills. They give people rides to the doctors. They mow people's lawns and stuff. They don't want right. They don't want any recognition. But it's those that, that got into law enforcement for the wrong reason that feel they have to continue to get the praise. Case in point, how are you going yeah. to sit here as a, as a SWAT team and see two of your members – push a 70-some-year-old man out of the way, he hurts himself, and that because the, the mayor or whomever called you out, you're going to quit. Your guys were wrong. What they did, how are you going to try to, how are you going to just, I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. Those are the things that upset the communities. Well, they, though, they're those who um, feel like they're being attacked because, again, it's almost like, you know, when um, these these little phrases we have now in society that I don't buy into, like when somebody dies, thoughts and prayers, and half the people don't even pray, but it's just something nice to say, or thanks for your right. service, and they really don't care about the military. I mean, it, we have right. these different stupid things that we say, don't really mean it, but, you know, those officers might hear it, thank you for serving, and they start, you know, again, sticking their chest out, now humbling themselves, right. and, and there's there's the ones that feel that, and then there's the ones that look at black and brown people are like animals to, to slaughter. So they don't care about how old that man was. They just, you know, how dare you question me? You know, he's just an old black guy. What's the big deal? You know. Right. Uh, but I, I digress. Final question for you because I know I got my other guests on the line. Um, you know, the word defund um, has been thrown around a lot. Defund the police and. And there's there's two sides of it, and I, I have concerns. There, and, and I mentioned this to, to you and Virgil weeks ago when we talked about that word, that mainstream and people who want to do the, the boogeyman, the scare tactics, tactics um, say that to fund that there's not going to be any police officers on the planet, and it's just going to be lawlessness and, and everything else. Now, you do have 
like your colleague in Seattle who resigned because of the monies that were shifted away from the budget and you have situations like that. I get that. Certainly if uh, she didn't feel, an African-American woman especially, that didn't feel that, you know, she would be able to do her job effectively with those those cuts. But then the other side of this, Chief, if you will, um, quickly, is the fact that you have the protesters who want they demand, they don't even ask, they demand change in terms of getting these bad officers off there, having these curriculums and programs, make sure you get the right officers in place. Um, and and it's been hijacked by these snooty liberal people that don't live into these neighborhoods that want to, to take all these, these funds away and and sort of, you know, handcuff you, if you will, people like yourself. Um and they don't have to live in the urban cities. They don't. They ain't never been in the hood. Nobody by nature said, if you ain't never been in the ghetto, stay the bleep out of the ghetto. They've never been there before, but they can come in with the liberal ways in terms of the snooty ways and, and, and push policy, and then they go back to the little suburb area. So speak to that because that's another part of it. I'm not saying I um, there, there's not um, the need to bring forth extreme change, as I said, right. but we also have to be careful. Yes, on sir. how we do this, this this restructuring, not the defunding, but reorganizing is probably a better term of these right. agencies across the country. Well, L.A., I'm going to tell you right now, be careful what you ask for. And I, I'm, I'm like you. I think a lot of people, it's that vocal minority that they, there's an there's a, there's a item out there. They've jumped on that bandwagon. They have no idea what they're talking about. Reorging? Absolutely. Defunding? No. What are you going to do? They don't want the police gone. This is what's really sexy right now. This is what's getting attention. If I say this, I'm going to get five minutes worth of, of, of media attention. They real, people, The people who are saying that, they've never had to utilize the police. They've never, they've never, they've never encountered the police, and if it was, it was minimal. They've never, they've never had to stare down a barrel of a gun. They've never had their home broken into. They've never had a loved one that they've lost that's been, uh, that's, uh, that's been violated. They've, never had, they, they've, they've only heard about it, and they've seen it on TV. These are individuals that don't get it. And so the, I'm thankful that you have more people that say, let's, let's sit down with police chiefs and city officials and say, let's reorg and talk about what we can do better. But this defunding thing, these these individuals saying that, they haven't a clue what we do. Yeah, and, and we have to be careful. I'm not talking about the protesters. I'm not talking about the ones who really want real comprehensive right. change, right. get Absolutely. the bad elements Absolutely. out. We're not talking about them because those are the ones that, that get it. What I'm saying is, and I think you're saying is that uh, it's been hijacked by people who want to jump on it. Yes. Coming yes. into neighborhoods that don't know what's really going on, and using Absolutely. that word, and then using it to to the extreme where you have good police chiefs like your colleague resign, and we could possibly see more of that, and that would be right. a shame. Yeah, uh, we're not talking about Chief the Black Humphrey, Lives Matter movement or anything like that. We're talking about individuals who are opportunists. That's what we're talking about. Right. Right. Absolutely. Chief, uh, listen, I appreciate you. If, uh, if Folks, if you get a chance on Tuesdays, check out You and the Law. It airs on uh, Blog Talk Radio at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, it uh, also, if you missed the rebroadcast, go to our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. That show airs at 4 a.m. 
and 7 p.m. Eastern time. It's you and the law, co-hosts of that chief of police, uh, Chief Keith Humphrey in Little Rock, Arkansas. Of course, Virgil Green as well as the other hosts couldn't be here. Thank you, Chief. Be safe. Be well. Love you, man. Appreciate your time. Love you too, man. God bless. Thanks, Chief. Take a break. Get to our next guest. Going to talk us, switch gears a little bit um, and talk more about the coronavirus as it relates to uh, some of the pro sports out there um, with our next guest on the Bassett News Radio show on the Bassett News Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill. <laughs> Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. The number to get in touch with us, press 1 to get on the line. And uh, keep in mind, we are live on Facebook as well, Facebook Live. So if you want to check us out there, you can do that as well. I want to bring in my guest, of course. He is the founder and CEO of the Charlotte Bats uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Good to have him back on the program. He's Rick Curdy. And Rick, uh, appreciate you coming on this evening, sir. Thanks for having me on your program. Thank you. Uh, L.A. Bassel alongside Tony T. Mac McLean. We'll get to him in just a bit. Um, Rick, so, you know, you are the founder and CEO of the Charlotte Bats. And uh, we, we had you on before talking about uh, baseball in that area. Um, some of the, 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 the do's and don'ts, some things you could learn from what MLB is doing and not doing. Um, has COVID-19 sort of slowed down your progress um, in terms of launching the Charlotte Bats in terms of uh, where you want to be to to uh, have that professional team there in Charlotte? Yeah, it, it has, you know, unfortunately. It hasn't, like, uh, destroyed it, but, yeah, it slowed it down, you know, because we don't know uh, 
of the uncertainty of uh, Major League Baseball right now. We're having a season. So, you know, this thing is totally, uh, I think it's slowed down a lot of things. It's kind of paralyzed some people. We haven't been paralyzed, but it, it definitely has, uh, has, has put a dent on it. You, so where, where were you in terms of your negotiations and, and connections with MLB prior to COVID-19? Well, we were just talking about, you know, like uh, why Charlotte should get a team, uh, why, you know, why North Carolina's never had a team, you know, that we're on this list that we we were saying that we feel that we're the better, you know, all this all the uh, cities on the list are great cities, but I, I was telling them why Charlotte is special, and you know we're one of the, we're the only uh, city on there that has a state next door, and and you know we're more like two states into one, and that the other state next door, uh, South Carolina, doesn't have any professional teams, and there's no there's no team in in Tennessee or no teams in Virginia, and how you know we would really help and our minor league baseball team um is uh up there with attendance so you know those are the things that we're just trying to convince them that why they need to pick charlotte for major league baseball when they decide to expand yeah and i i would think too i know um that part of carolina has been hit pretty hard with COVID 19 um in in that area uh, uh, has that, uh, with the uncertainty, I guess, going into, you know, next year, and they don't really know what's going to happen in terms of uh, when the virus will subside, if, if it ever will, uh, are there concerns going into 2021 for you with this? No, we're just – we're pretty much in the same boat with every other state. I mean, there you got states like Florida and Texas where it's just, like, totally out of control – and it's just horrific. And then you got states that are not doing very well, but it's not dire. North Carolina sort in the middle. You know, we have our ups and downs. Sometimes the numbers are up, sometimes they're down. You know, we have deaths that are that have gone up, then they go down, or or people in hospitals have gone up and gone down. So it's just we're like everybody else. We're just like you know, like. What, what's happening and we just had to take it day by day so it's a lot of uncertainty not just for us but it's pretty much uncertainty for everybody yeah you're right in durham it's uh, uh it's a day-by-day uh, thing here and uh, you know in terms of reopenings and 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 really it's not just a state thing you, you got to bring it down to a mayoral thing too what they're going to do in that town in that city uh, whether it be urban um, or otherwise, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Rick Curdy, uh, founder and CEO of the Charlotte Bats here on the Bassett News Radio Show. Um, so we had a chance to see what baseball did. And, and, you know, we've seen, my God, the Marlins and the Cardinals and other uh, uh, teams going through uh, players that have tested positive and coaches, right? And, mm-hmm. and some of the trainers and di- different people. Uh, I what I don't get, and I know Tony and I, we've talked about, you know, there's this is a new norm, so you, there's going to be some some issues if, and they did decide to move forward and play baseball, but there are so many other things they could have done 
and they could have looked no further than the NBA and the NHL. They're playing in one specific area, and, you know, up until today, I haven't heard anything in terms of the NBA or NHL having um, many, if any, uh, people, uh, you know, infected and, and, and with the COVID-19 because they, they're kind of isolating themselves and the players and coaches in one place. I don't understand why baseball didn't do that, uh, especially because they're playing in two different countries. Canada doesn't want the players. You know, you nope. see they're taking hockey because hockey's doing it in, the, in a bubble up there. So they got two places, one in the United States, one in Canada. Canada don't want the Blue Jays to come back or leave or anything. Um, and so what what do you think of, of baseball and how, why they didn't seem to get it right and what lessons can be learned from that? Well, I think baseball is just a little bit more different than uh, than basketball and hockey. I think it's easier to contain there. It's just there's so many games, and uh, you know a lot of these players, you know, in Major League Baseball, you know, and I think a lot of people just think that they can, uh, you know, it's like well, it's not going to happen to me. I think that's what's hurting our country, why we have so many cases in the United States compared to Canada and other countries is that people are just not following the rules. They're not wearing masks. They're not self-distancing. Um, it's not just baseball. or It's it's everywhere. I mean, you even had um, an NBA player who uh, went out of that bubble to go get food or something like that. But the NBA and NHL have done a great job. Um, NHL, I think it's uh, because uh, people are most, like, most likely uh, from Canada. They can play in Canada, and it's sad when our own – uh, friends, you know, in Canada doesn't want their uh, uh, us to come over there because they're afraid we're going to spread it over there because they have done everything they're they're supposed to do and and we're just not we're not getting it. So I think mainly baseball. I think a lot of it was just arrogance on their part. I just think they just thought, oh, we're we're different. We're mainly baseball. We don't need to be doing all that kind of stuff. And you know, we'll have the players' union uh, kind of. Uh, control it and I mean how can you control um, millionaires you know especially when they're like 22 years old from going out and partying well and I was going to say that's the other part of this too let's let's be clear um, when you have you know players going out to casinos and stuff and knowing they shouldn't be, first of all they should be focusing on the games um, but second of all, they, again, they're not, either they're, they're not taking it serious or they feel they're invincible or both. But, you know, the players uh, are directly um, responsible in, in that regard. Uh, if You know, like you said, in society, we see it, people not wearing masks and not taking it serious where well, the players aren't. And so, um, you know, ownership and, and the commissioner's office – or get the blame for even reopening or trying to play, but the players' responsibility is there when they 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 don't do that as well. Uh, can they, you know, at this point, kind of adjust on the fly and and keep playing, or do you think? I know it was a couple of weeks ago the threat was that they were going to shut it down because it was so bad. But you you think they can make it through a sixty-game season? I don't see it happening. You know, it's just you're going to get teams with more outbreaks. The Cardinals, I have no idea if they're going to play or not because it's gone bad for them. The Marlins, it looks like they uh, 
um, they're doing much better. You know, um, I think Jeter had it just, you know, like you said, he said that they dropped the ball or something like that. So it looks like they might have got it under control. But it just seems like every there's always every, a, a team out there or a player, somebody out there just not doing what they're supposed to be doing or they don't think they're going to get caught. And you can't be doing all that, especially in this uh, era with so much uh, social media that someone's going to snap a selfie of you at a nightclub or some crowded house party or something like that. So I'm actually amazed that Major League Baseball is still going on. I gave it two weeks. So, you know, I'll I'll tip my hat off to them, but I I don't know if they can go through a season because even if you have every player or every team doing what they're supposed to be doing, this thing is so, you know, you're going to have – one person or two or somebody out there doing not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So right now uh, it looks like it's okay, but it's just a day by day basis. It could be okay, and then two days later they can they might shut it down. So we'll see what happens. I have no idea, um, but it's just uh, this is a very uh, it's very interesting season. I'll put it that way. Yeah, interesting is probably the. The, the easiest way or the, the, the you could could say. Talk with Rick Curdy, of course, here on the Bassin News Radio Show on the Bassin News Radio Network. He is the founder and CEO of the Charlotte Bats, trying to uh, uh, become a part of MLB. If you have a question, six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. Hit us up on Facebook on uh, uh, Pad Nation on uh, Facebook, Pad Nation Two on Twitter, or at that number. If you're listening right now. Um, to the live feed if you want to continue to listen live you'll either have to watch on facebook or you will have to uh dial in to that number at the top of the hour uh, with that i turn my questions or turn the questions over to my longtime friend and colleague tony t mac mcclain good evening sir how's it going uh good. going well thank you um you know just not to be rude or anything like that but what exactly are you doing now? Uh, how are you getting yourself prepared for uh, for 2021? Are you still – I know you mentioned you still keep in touch with Major League Baseball. I'm sure they're, they've been, you know, doing their things. Well, but what what are you doing to prepare for 2021? Right now we're just trying to get the word out. We're going through social media, um, trying to get, you know uh, – the word out more, you know, doing interviews like I'm doing right here, right now. Um, and right now we're just t- taking it day by day basis because it's just, like I said, it's just everything's pretty much at a standstill right now. Um, so we're just hopefully getting ready for 2021, just trying to get everything in order and and just see what happens. And uh, right now it's just, you know, I think Major League Baseball, right now what they're concerned about is if they can get a season or not, and hopefully they won't get any more uh, uh, of this virus. Uh, they can get more of this virus under control. So right now we're just kind of playing it by ear and seeing what happens. So, you know, it's pretty, we're doing what we can right now, but in a very uh, minimal way. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's make you commissioner for the next five, ten minutes. I would what, love what, it. Well, you know, what would have been now – what would have some of you know? And, and again, I know it's probably an easy second guess or whatever, but still, what would have been some of the things you would have done differently, um, going you know, knowing what you, you know, knowing what we know now, 
what would you have done differently than Major League Baseball would have, than what Major League Baseball has done? With COVID nineteen or just in general? Uh, the whole, the whole, the whole Magilla. Oh, I would have suspended the Astros for the whole season. I would have fined them. I would have stripped them of their title, and I would have put everybody on the on the. Uh, don't ever do that again because you don't want to be like the Astros. Uh, Commissioner Manfred totally, totally dropped the ball on the Astros, um, saying that their punishment is going to be shame and uh, anything else wrong for him to do that. I mean, I've never heard of an organization doing what they did and pretty much getting away with it. And that's why you see every team beating them right now and wanting to fight them because they're so hated for what they have done. So that would have been the first thing I would have done. Um, I wouldn't have called the World Series trophy a, a hunk of metal, like he said, and he did apologize for that. I would have had a much, much better uh, relation with the Players Union. It seems like he's trying to dump everything on the Players Association and saying, well, if you don't get your players in, under control, it's, uh, it's you know, we had to shut down the season. It's your fault. It's like he's not, you know, owning up to the mistakes that he's made, you know, and Major League Baseball's made a lot of mistakes. And, um, you know, and it's just unfortunate when he, he's just not done a very good job uh, this past uh, year and a half or so. So those are the things I would have done, and I would have just uh, told the players, look, we have this virus going around. Don't be stupid. Don't go out and party because if you do and we catch you, don't, you know, you're, you're done for this season, okay, because we need to have a season. We're going to try to have a season. It's going to be a strange season, but don't be – don't be doing something stupid. If I catch you out partying, forget about you playing this season. And I would find players if they are caught doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing. You know, and to piggyback on the Astros thing, uh, now Joe Kelly was on the Red Sox team that allegedly cheated the year after with Joey Torres. Now, I- I'm just trying to figure out why is you know why why are we putting this guy on a pedestal when he is basically the same thing that the Astros did? Now, now you could argue whether it was on the same level, or whatever. But cheating is cheating. I don't get the fact that they're trying to make Joe Kelly out to be a martyr when he was on a team that cheated just as much as the Astros. And oh, by the way, they have you know they, you know they did have a similar thing because their first base coach wind up being the manager for that Red Sox team. Yeah, I know. It's it's just, I guess, uh, that that's a good question, you know. I mean, who knows? Maybe he came forward and just said, look, this is what's been going on. You know, there's always some type of whistleblower that's going on. And, you know, you got players, you know. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. You got people involved in this that, uh, that are still in the league and things like that. I mean, uh, to me, I would have suspended the whole Astros for what they did, I would have suspended players for um, being involved, you know, and things like that. And I think one of Manfred's uh, big mistakes that he did was that he gave the Astros immunity. So he just told them, look, just tell us what really happened and nothing will happen to you. And, of course, they lied. And then they were supposed to go on this tour of apologizing and telling people, you know, we're sorry. And they pretty much didn't do that. They were just saying, yeah, well, we cheated, but – it wasn't as bad as you think it was, you know. And so um, it's just uh, it's bad on all parts. And the way Manfred handled this, I give him a big old F minus on this. It's, it's he just totally dropped the ball on it. Every other commissioner, 
you know, I mean, even Godell, you know, is you know, you might not agree with what he did with the Patriots with the Flake Gate, but I mean he, he did something about it or he find them when they were uh recording uh, other teams practicing. I mean he did something about it, you know, and um Manfred did nothing about it. So um it's 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 a total it was the last thing major league baseball needed was another scandal. They're still getting past the uh, steroid scandal. They're still getting past uh, canceling the World Series in '94. So I mean, it's just um, it's it's a shame, and you know they need to hold everyone accountable and, and not say, okay, thank you for uh, fessing up to this, and uh, by the way, you get to keep all your millions of dollars, and you get to keep your World Series trophy and your banner. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, I guess you're not a Paul Manfred. <laughs> fan there or Rick when you you talk about yeah. him. Um I, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of his is either but I, I'm not a fan of all the commissioners to be in some shape or form. But you know it, it just to to kinda uh follow what you were saying in regards um to the players and 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 the league when you, you, you look at a, a baseball did you did, are you saying that the 94 season has you know still has a uh, sort of a stain in terms of uh, the fans uh being a little some fans being a little unforgiven uh because of the the fact that they didn't play the world series maybe that that hurt they're still hurting baseball at this point Oh, yeah, they lost a lot of fans with it. You know, when you have uh, players like Terry Pendleton going on live television and saying, you know what, I'm only making $6 million a year. I mean, that's a travesty. I should be making more money. And you got people struggling to, you know, put uh, food on the table and people, you know, trying to make ends meet. And you got a multimillionaire complaining he's only making $6 million a year. Uh, You're going to lose a lot of fans, you know. And then they should have said something to him like, hey, Terry, or – you know, whoever, don't be saying that because people are not going to care that you're only making $6 million a year. So that hurt a lot of people. I know it hurt uh, a lot of people to come back. It took years for some pe- for some fans to come back, you know, when the, um, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa went on the historic uh, that That brought a lot of people back, and then it kind of soured because then he found out that they were uh, pretty much cheating by taking steroids and altering the record books of Roger Maris, you know, and Hank Aaron. So, I mean, uh, that put another stain on it. You know, when they had to go and testify in Congress, and you had people like Sammy Sosa forgetting to speak English, and then you got Rafael Palmero, you know, waving his finger, saying, I never took steroids, and then two weeks later, you get popped for taking steroids. You know, um, Major League Baseball has done a, a poor job about it. You try to just kind of hide under the rug and they couldn't do it. They knew about all this stuff going on, but they saw, you know, that they were bringing fans back and they figured out, you know, everyone else is doing it. Why not? So it, it has definitely hurt them since the World Series. And then you got the steroid scandal and then they're getting better. And then all of a sudden you get the whole Astros debacle about the banging on the trash cans. And, you know, I mean, the Astros have been, have been to one World Series a whole franchise, including when they were the uh, Colt 45, and now all of a sudden they've been to two World Series in the past, what, three or four years, so, I mean, some sums up, so um, they have, they definitely have lost some fans, and I just think they've done a poor job uh, talking to the fans about it, I just think they kind of 
they kind of ignore the fans. They see all the billions of dollars they're making from TV revenue, and they're not paying attention that Major League Baseball has lost attendance for the past six years. Their attendance has gone down. Hmm. Well, that, that's um, that's that's uh, a, a bold statement considering you know what your franchise and and your trying to move forward with MLB. I, re- I respect that. Uh, let me ask you this uh, final question. Um, in this year, this, assuming, let's say, they get through the year, the 60 games they play in the World Series, they get a winner. Um, twofold. If it's the Astros, you know, should we take them seriously? And in in general, it being a short season, every, everything being for real and everybody having to deal with the same thing, the COVID-19, should another team win? Um should it be an asterisk in history about them? Maybe it's a team that nobody expects to, but because they got off to a good start and it's only 60 games, they wind up winning. Should it be a, sort of a mark um, in the history books if they win the World Series? I think they're going to have to put an asterisk. I think they're going to have to put an asterisk saying, you know, 2020 World Series champion and then have a little footnote saying, played in a 60-game season due to COVID-19. I mean, I think they're going to have to put that regardless because they're going to be like, why did they only play 60 games? I remember when they had a, a strike-shortened season, they always put, you know, one one championship or, or you know, one 15 games, but did it during a short season due to the strike. So they're, they're going to have to put a little footnote on that because people are not going to know, like, hey, what happened with Major League Baseball in 2020? What happened? You know, like many, many, many years from now, it's kind of like, uh, unfortunately, when they put an asterisk on Roger Maris's home run record, which to me, I I thought that was wrong. I mean, he hit the most home runs in the season, but they're going to have to put some type of footnote saying that the, there was a shortened season due to COVID-19. They're just going to have to. And, and with the, what if the I, I know you don't believe in the Astros? It, what if they win? Is it is the fix still <laughs> in with them at this point? Uh, Oh yeah, I, I mean definitely. I mean they 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 haven't learned their lesson. I mean they're going around TV. You got people like Correa going around and saying, yeah, it wasn't as bad as you think it was, and yeah, but yet you had Major League Baseball do a whole entire investigation and say, no, it was pretty pretty bad what you did. You weren't just stealing signs. You were doing other things that you shouldn't have been doing. So to me, the Astros have no credibility, you know, and uh, it's. Um, it's um I, I like I said his he t- he said their biggest punishment was shame and embarrassment. Um, I like to have that shame and embarrassment when I'm making twenty million dollars a year. So um, they, they haven't learned their mm. lesson because they never got punished. They keep their banner, they keep their World Series trophy. They're always going to be uh, World Series champions, you know. And um, I mean, I'm, it's not a big surprise they're not playing very well, you know. Right now, uh, Otuve is like hitting below 200 right now so I think the stress and I think uh, them being prepared that every team every player hates them and that they're probably going to get beamed sometime I think that has a lot to do with it mm. Fascinating I, I think they were, you know, I think uh, they were the only team I, I think they were the only team that really didn't want to have a season <laughs> I think they were hoping that, that they, we wouldn't have a season and then by 2021 came people would have forgotten about them cheating so I think they're the only team right now that really didn't want to have a season this year. <laughs> well, I feel bad for Dusty Baker, big fan of his. And um, oh yeah, but, I love know, Dusty Baker. Yeah, and um, but it always seems like that's a whole different conversation uh, for yeah. Dusty. But anyway, 
Uh, Rick, before you go, let people know how they can follow you, how they can reach out. I know you got paraphernalia out there. Uh, let people know how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Uh, our website is www.charlottebats.com. We have a contact there. You can always contact me for any questions on there. Um, I'm also on Facebook. We have two uh, groups on there. It's called One's called Charlotte MLB. I'd be posting pictures and what's going on with not only uh, MLB in Charlotte, but professional baseball together in North Carolina. We have another page called Charlotte Bats Baseball. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn under Rick Curti, C-U-R-T-I. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Charlotte Bats Baseball. I'm on, and I'm also on Instagram at Charlotte Bats. And my email address is cltbatsbaseball at gmail.com. That's cltbatsbaseball at gmail.com. And if you want to get involved or uh, have any uh, questions or have any ideas, uh, we're all op- we're we're open because we're we're getting ready to really turn it up in 2021. Amen to that. Uh, Rick, I appreciate your time, man. You be safe there in Charlotte and uh, be well, and, and we'll have you on again. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you. Have a great night and be safe. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. Good to have him on. Rick Curdy, he is the uh, founder and CEO of the Charlotte Bats here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, Tony, get your thoughts on some of the things he said. Obviously, he is not a fan of the commissioner. Obviously, he's not a fan of the Houston Astros, uh, minus uh, uh, Dusty Baker. But um, but your thoughts on, on what he had to say in terms of uh, – we had these conversations, but just uh, okay. his from his perspective on, on, uh, on the World Series and – and essentially, he's right. I mean, the commissioner said, don't do it again. You shame on you. And, you know, nobody's really been punished. Uh, not not much more you can really add to it. You know, um, it's, it's um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's even worse because he um, did even a terrible, even worse job with the Red Sox. That's why I, right. that's, that, that's why I got, I got a big problem with, folks trying to make uh, Joe Kelly a hero. Joe Kelly is no hero. Joe Kelly is just as much of a cheater as, as the whole, as a, for, and for him, you know, for, for him to be as indignant as he is, to me, he's the biggest, he's one of the biggest hypocrites in sports as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it's, 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 the, it's the whistleblower who was actually a part of it. Michael Cohen going to jail and people saying he did the right thing, he called out the president. No, he was with the president. Wait a minute. So, Kelly, you're right. Kelly was one of the, the, the dirty dudes. Now because he dropped a dime on someone, they want to say how, cur- how much courage he's showing. No, it's easier for him to do it now. I oh, mean, so no that, that's there's, no, there's, there's, hey, hey, there's no courage that's going at somebody's head. That's just that's he's 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 just as you know. If you're going to call the Astros gutless, then he's then he's even more gutless because he did because he's part of the team that cheated as well. I don't right. know. It's it's it's. But see, you know, baseball has this. Uh, you know, I'll just come right out and say it. If he had been a Hispanic or a black pitcher that had done that. I don't think he'd be getting the same sort of love. I think, I, in, in, in a matter of fact, I think that he would be ridiculed. But because he's white, and you know they, you know they can, they can, you know they will make, you know allowances for white players as as we've seen over the years. And again, look, Joe Kelly was part of a team that cheated, and he is 
and, and he took umbrage to the Astros. I mean, there's a there's an old I'm, I'm I am not a Bible person, but there's an old biblical saying: is just because you sin different than me doesn't make your doesn't make my sin or your sin better or worse. Right. Right. A sin is a sin. Yeah. Essentially, and you know, you you're right about that. Had it been a um, a, a black pitcher uh, doing that, there's no room for that in the game, and all them terminologies would have came out. And you know, what what is he thinking? And boy, you know, I it, I can't be his teammate. All that negative stuff would 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 have dropped. But with, with Kelly, you know, um, boy, you know, the courage he's shown. <laughs> it's just laughable. Yeah, it's really yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's really, yeah, it's courageous to throw at somebody's head with a throw, throw a ninety mile power ball at somebody's head. Yeah, that's courage. Already. Yeah. And you know, one of the things you said a couple of weeks ago, T, that's been um, uh, I've been thinking about more and more is the fact that you know the commissioner and the owners are in a, a good position if they do shut it down because they can say, Hey, look, we tried as opposed to let's say, and you, we know the plantation, uh, AKA the NFL is not going to do it, but let's say hypothetically they decided not to play. Then they would be, you know, there'd be, their, their fans would go crazy over that. But, uh, you know, essentially baseball shuts it down now after, you know, a couple of dozen games, they can say, Hey, we tried fans. We, we gave it our best. It just didn't work out, and they could start. They could point some fingers to some of the players, like we talked about, you and I, and and, and Rick talked about tonight, that are mm. reckless, that are not taking it seriously, that are causing all these COVID nineteen viruses because they are going out there doing it, not socially distancing, and not wearing masks. It's well, and see, you know, I think the funny thing is, and I think we sort of mentioned this before, see. Mainstream media wanted to see what's happening to baseball. They wanted to see that happen in the NBA, and it yep. hasn't. You know, other than you know, other than uh, Mr. Williams' little uh, Deliance, and that was even before everything. You know, basically, since you know, since both leagues have gone under the bubble, no one has tested positive. That's so 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 they've already won. And, and to be quite honest, both. Both the NHL and NBA have played enough of a season where the team that does win it this year is not going to be tainted. And even if baseball limps to a World Series or whatever this year, everything is tainted. There's nothing. There's nothing legit. You know, they're trying to. You know, um, Charlie Blackman's hitting 500. Ooh, he may hit 400. Oh, really? That's really going to count. Right. But you know, it's it's. At the end of the day, they had they had the same opportunity to do the bubble. But but two baseballs, you know. To be fair, it would be it was. I'm not gonna say it would be impossible, but it was going to be different for baseball to do a bubble as opposed to the NBA and the NHL because of the of the way the sport, you know, because of the way the sport is. Although that being said, and I don't think this is being contradictory. They probably would have had to do more than two bubbles, like the NHL has done. I see the NHL did both of their bubbles are in are in Canada, you know, one East Coast, one West Coast. Um, you know, um, and I guess to a lesser extent, the NBA has done that too because you got the um, WNBA 
in another part of Florida, and they haven't tested, none of the ladies have tested positive there as well. But, um, yeah, this is, and, and, and you know, I don't, I've been, I'm, the hockey has been great between the overtime games and the excitement. You know, it's, it's been great. This is, this is probably going to be a great boon to, uh, to, to hockey. And you can't get anything. You know, look, out of all the four majors, there is no playoff better. No playoff better than the Stanley Cup playoffs. None. Not the NFL. Not the NBA, not Major League Baseball. Stanley Cup, I would, you know, give me Stanley Cup playoffs, you know, seven days a week and twice on Sundays because those are great games, and that's the right. one. You know, and now, and now they basically have an opportunity. You know, they've they've been given an opportunity now to shine, and 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 yeah. and, and, and good for them. And and we'll see what happens when the end. Now the NBA, I guess, starts. Uh, Technically, I believe they start Monday. There's still some um, play down, uh, play down, and play in games. Well, I guess the, the East, um, the East is all set. The West, they're still trying to figure out the matchups. But, um, but no, at the end of the day, you have to do a bubble. Now, I would hope, and I don't think it's going to happen. Um, you would hope that the NFL would take notice and try to do a bubble as well. But it's but. One again, we're talking numbers. That's and, and we get that it's a it's a numbers thing. It's it's a, it's strictly a numbers thing. But if you're committed to doing it, as opposed to just doing a money grab, you'll get it done. But 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 you know, right now right now it's a money grab, for at least for Major League Baseball, and and the NFL, the NBA and the NHL. They thought this out. They took the you know they took the play you know they. End of the day, they thought they they, they 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 looked at the whole situation. They looked at the player's safety, and it's 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 works to their advantage. And I think in many ways, people will look at the NBA and NHL a lot differently moving forward now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're right. It's 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 going to be. Um, Interesting how how um, they all playoffs. You also play out, but you also write about hockey being the um, because of all the upsets and the exciting shootouts that they have. The hockey's playoff is, is the best, the there's best a, there's going. A, uh, another another uh, Chicago and Vegas as we speak, and are, are they they're getting ready to go into overtime for their game um, this afternoon. Wow, wow. Uh, yeah, I want to switch gears to the. Uh, College football before we get out of here, and uh, I, we've already seen the uh, the Big Ten and Pac-12 uh, cancel their fall seasons. Uh, you had um, people like Jim Harbaugh and all these. If anybody, he shouldn't want to play be him because he's going to lose Ohio State anyway again. Uh, but I digress. But you well, know, you he, he better worry about he better worry about beating the rest of the Big Ten as opposed to beating Ohio State. Right, that's true too. But he can't win the big one, is what my my point is. And oh, sure, but you've had sure. you know star players that that um, are at these big time programs, like at Clemson and others who have started this movement that they want to play. And and so far, ACC, SEC, you know, still um, going to play. Um, but the, the SEC, especially, I think, speaks to the arrogance and the slave mentality going back to their origins 
uh, of any of the other ones. Um, you know, they already feel like it's Alabama and, and everybody else, and that you know, all every team, the worst team there, could beat the best team here and everything. And they have no no plans. Not only they have no plans not to cancel, but they're trying to play uh, all of their games, not just their conference games, but they're trying to fill in the games, the out-of-conference games, too. Um, and speak to that arrogance, uh, uh, T, because you had two big conferences saying, no, this is we just can't do that. We had uh, uh, a college, uh, one of the college doctors um, in, in college football has said, you know, this has been mismanaged, so yeah, you need to not play these games, and yet the SEC in particular um, shows their feeling of superiority when it comes to college football um, and their arrogance by not even thinking about shutting it down. Well, all I can say is that I hope that I hope I I hope they got their lawyers ready because basically what shut basically what wound up shutting the Big Ten and all these other schools down was they weighed the cost of liability and it's it's just not it's just not worth it it's just not worth it now you know to a certain extent i was talking about this the other night to a certain extent the acc is holding on because i guess they will have the prestige of having notre dame but you know Notre Dame, most you know all that money that Notre Dame makes goes into their pockets. They're not the, the the league won't see any of that. But that being that being said, um, you know it's 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 madness. But again, all we got to do is have one player drop graveyard dead, and 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 then the the parents or whatever will will sue the pants off. The, the school, the league, and whatever, and then, you know, once you once you let that once you let that horse out the barn, there's no way so keep playing. You know, this this is it's a stupid game of chicken, and they have everything to lose here. Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback at, uh, uh, you know, Clemson, Clemson. certainly, yeah. you know. I, look, these kids. It's 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 a part that says these kids the feel the invincible. The they want to play, the right? Um, but I think in his case, um, he wants that hardware and he wants that legit hardware. He wants to be that wants to win the Heisman. He wants to be the first pick and he wants to be on the field to 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 do so. Um, but to me, he's sort of the exception to the rule in terms of the shift of the blame one way or another, because you hear a lot of these coaches and these um, administrators saying, you know, the kids want to play. Well, they are kids. And yeah, they might be 18. They might be 18, but they're still under the direction of the coaches and the, Mm -hmm. and the school and everything else. But again, that's that they're shifting the blame to these kids who want to play. They want to, well, you, know, you want to play football? You want to play baseball? It's the it's the equivalent of saying, "Well, Johnny's got a bike." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And 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 the minute one of those kids, you know, drops graveyard dead, then they're gonna be like, "Well, we never really wanted them out there." And so, so you know, look, look, look again. This is the ultimate game of chicken, and if they 
if they if they insist on doing it this stupid way, it's gonna cost it's gonna cost someone their life. And you know, like I said, I'm not justifying the kids, but we at least understand where the kids are coming from because they're kids. They don't know any better. But as is with so much in college sports, sports, it's the dumbass adults that should be making decisions. Be like, well, well you know, the kids, kids want to play, you know. And all they're thinking about is the back of their, the, 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 the butt part of their pants. Right, right, and and, and that's that's where it 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 should be in terms of uh, when you when you're talking about these, these kids are. They they feel like they're going to they they can overdo this overcome anything and sure. it won't affect them. Um, you know, overall, if it if none none of the other Power Fives shut down for the fall, um, do you think there's short term or long term ramifications, or does it need to be more? And now people are questioning uh, the the NCAA commissioner and the bodies and the, I mean the, well, uh, the the governors and everybody. So, uh, you know, is, is there going to be some hell to pay if if it's just the two out of five or more shut down? Well, think about this. The this is the NCAA has got no control over this. Absolutely not. Right. They're 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 to me they 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 are toothless. They're toothless in this. This is being, you know, look, major college sports, especially major college football, is run by the five families, as we as we have talked about for years. Um, you know, the the, the, the playoffs—that's not NCAA sanctioned. The ball games—that's right. not NCAA sanctioned. The NCAA, look, the NCAA, the NCAA is more of a figurehead now than anything else. When they need to. Enforced rules, so to speak, or whatever. But 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 they're toothless, and something like this shows you how it just shows you how even more toothless they are now. They have no control over this. They have absolutely no control over this. They may have it over this way, at least on the Division One level, the, the high end Division One level. Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, they have a little bit more say over that. But see, those schools shut down. Long time ago, so they you know so so they already have they already they you know they already have what they're doing you know we got to remember it was the Ivy League that started this whole thing about the spring ball and now all of a sudden everybody you know I'm I'm no Ivy League fan mind you but it's you know at least they 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 got it right and to and 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 the, and, the, and the black schools as well right so right. you know. They're going and, to and Tony, going you know, the, it, it seems as though we we know the Power Five. If anybody commissioners run, it's the Power Five uh, commissioners and conferences that run college football in particular. And and so the question is, can we get to a centralized leadership? The NCAA, like you said, the NCAA governing body, say what you want, they they pick and choose, just like pro commissioners they they don't get it right they don't look at the the uh, student athletes right but they don't like you said have control over it. it's these power fives that have the control and, and really if you go back to the 80s when the supreme court gave all the television rights and all that stuff back to the schools you have these big these schools 
and these conferences have their own TV contracts. So it's all driven by that. And that's why they feel like, you know what, it seems like uh, I'll take a chance, SEC. I'll take a chance, Big 12, because if we, even we get sued, we still could fall back on that TV money. We could fall back on that, that, all, that championship money, all the money that comes through the Power Five. They, it's like they, they're just, like you said, the risk and reward. They're just saying, you know what, we, we'll take a couple of people dying and take a couple of hits because here's, we're still going to be printing money. Here's all you need to know. Literally a couple hours after the uh, Big Ten came out and said what they said, uh, University of Nebraska says, well, you know, we don't exactly agree. We're, we, we, may, we may, you know, do something outside. And uh, the Big Ten commissioner said, okay, sure. Just got to give back that money you earned. And then Nebraska said, okay, you know, we, we won't play. We won't play. They know where the, you know. <laughs> Once you go for the once you go for the uh, once you go for the back pocketbook, then everybody falls in line. Cause see, you can talk all that mess. Cause see, even if the SEC shuts it down tomorrow, you know somebody like a like a Bama or a Texas A and M or whatever is gonna be like, we need Auburn, to get our own. Yeah. Deal. We need to get our own deal. And they're gonna yep. be like, oh, you go, you go right on. And you remember, and you just make sure you get that. You know, I put it this way: I akin it to something that uh, 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 history, in the sense of when the when the when the when the Confederate states, you know, um, broke from the Union. United States government said, "No problem, you just won't get federally funded anymore." And then slowly but surely, you know. They stopped singing Dixie and then started, you know, singing the national anthem all over again. So, right, right. You know, it's it's it's. We'll, we'll see, because I think I'll just put this way. I hope no one, either on a college level or a professional level, has to die before someone shuts it down. But unfortunately, with the way things have played out, it's going to happen. It's it's not even so much a thing of if it's going to happen, but when it's going to happen, and that's the, and that and that's the sad part about it. You know, no one should. I mean, there are enough people dying because of this pandemic. We don't. Right. I, 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 I've said it on this show a bunch of times on other shows. I don't need to see our favorite athletes drop damn dead just so I can be entertained. Exactly. We got more important things and other things like you and I. You, you got, I got my law and order. You got your. I mean, we we can entertain ourselves. It, it, it's well, not. It's, it's too high of a risk to see people die over this thing because we want to see them score touchdowns or hit a home run or knock down a three pointer. Here's the. You know what? Here's the deal. What 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 scares me more? You know, missing the Knicks or possibly getting shot by a, a rogue cop. I mean, exactly. come on. Do, do I do I do I even do I even need that? The, the fact that I even have to ask that sort of a question just shows you how ass backwards we are now. And and it, and it's weird because I think I told you several times during the time when there wasn't anything going on, I didn't miss sports. I did other stuff. Right. There was other stuff to watch and everything like that. Even now, yeah, I'm watching the games, but I'm not like going crazy nuts. I mean, there's put it this way. 
there's certain nights when there's been the, the 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 good thing about now is that there is stuff on. You literally have to be like, what do we watch tonight? Because between right. the end, because you because you got you got the three majors um, playing. Two of them are in the playoffs. One is. <laughs> Trying to hang on, good limp to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's the point. Put this way, at this point in time, right now, if the Cardinals do get a chance to play out their schedule, their last games may be right on, right, right, might be just in time for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and <laughs> and what's so funny? What's so funny is you now Manfred yesterday said, you know, we're considering a bubble for the postseason. Hey man, you ain't even got to. <laughs> You ain't, you, you ain't even guaranteed a, a regular season. You talking about the postseason? Yeah. <laughs> that's why. That's, yeah. that's why. That's why. That's why he was so um, hard on 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 Manfred because they. I mean, look. I and, and I said and I've said this several times. Baseball probably had the hardest way to go here, strictly because of volume. But again, they didn't sit down and. They, there was plenty of time for them to go over a plan, right? And the NHL and the NBA have shown that because they sat down, they actually thought it out, and you know, for all the for all the mess that Gary Bettman gets, they got it right. They got it right. They got it right. And yeah. same thing. Same thing, same thing with uh, Adam Silver and the NBA. They got it right. Now, yes, they mm. had less numbers to deal with every time, but still, they got it right, and they and they should be commended for that because, like I said, mainstream media, what's going on in Major League Baseball? They were they were hoping and thinking that that was going to be what the NBA was going to be this year, but it's not. It's not right. I mean, the big yeah. the NBA's the the only thing the NBA dropped the ball on was they were trying their damnness to get uh, Zion in the postseason, and that blew up in their face. Yeah, yeah, you're right. A, they, 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 that's the only that's the only reason why they did these regular season games. They wanted to get you know they got greedy. They wanted to get Zion in in the uh, in the postseason, and they didn't. So now so now they're just gonna have to you know. Uh, shuffle along with uh, LeBron, uh, the Greek Freak, uh, Harden, and and all those other guys. And see, now it looks like um, Russell Westbrook is going to miss um, at least the first the first round of the playoffs with with an injury. Yeah, well, you know, Philly Philly's done with their injuries. So, but uh, uh, anyway, that's uh, I mean, um, you know, um, Ben Simmons. You know, you know, I, I I I know I'm I know I'm asking the rhetorical question, but do you bring him back again? Uh, depend. I mean, this way, unless he wins the thing, how do you bring him back again? I, I, I listen. I, I'm not a fan of Brown, and I, I honestly, I'm not a fan of Ben Simmons. But uh, you know, it with with them, with him going down, um, and they don't. It, it's it's you know, some people might say, well, it's not his fault, but they weren't gonna win with 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 Ben Simmons anyway with with this coach. So it's, no, it's, I don't bring you know, I don't bring him back. I don't. It's 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 
Now, now, now you do bring back Bob Ben, though, do you not? Ben's got to show some improvement. Uh, last season, we were talking about making, you know, improving that jump shot and everything, and and it didn't show even before COVID nineteen. And so yeah. I, you yeah. know, maybe maybe bring him back uh, and and give him another shot. But as far as the coach, now nah, he is definitely they they're not going to sniff a ring with him as the head uh, basketball coach of that team. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, though, when you, we, we were talking about college, and, you know, the, the pros we know, NBA is a, a player's league. Um, MLB has a strong um, a player's union. Um, there There's some decisive, decisiveness in the pros as, a, as opposed to going back to the NCAA. And I guess my 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 question to you is, you know, what is the point of the association like the NCAA if they can't actually take the lead during a crisis like this? What role could it or should it have played, you know, to move the sport forward to handle this crisis if they don't have – if their hands are tied <laughs> – in yeah. the first place. They don't they they, they 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 you know, there's no nice way of saying it. They don't have a role. They literally don't have a role at all. I mean they're there are, you know they're still around let's put it this way. We always talk about how they wanna use these nineteen forties values but they wanna but they wanna cash them twenty uh twenty checks. The NCAA you know the NCAA did it to themselves, to be quite honest yeah. with you, because they because they still they still they, they, they you know they're cashing them checks, but they still are trying to use these nineteen forties nineteen fifties platforms for twenty twenty, and you're you're being foolish. And 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 even now they're fighting to the death, so these kids don't even. And and again, it's not like the kids are asking. You know, it's you know, uh, it's always funny to me when I hear people say they have such outrage. You know, oh, these kids making money. You know, it's not like they're asking for you know seven figure salaries here. You know, you know right. stipend. When you consider when you consider the kind of money that is out there for big time college sports, especially football and basketball. The money's there. The money is there. And, and usually, money. T, when it, when people complain about, oh man, they're, you know, they're getting a scholarship, they shouldn't be paid. They're, you oh, know, they're they're it. college stop students. Those, the ones that complain are usually the John Calipari coaches making the money, the Mike Shoseskis, or oh, these or these Tyler Hansborough type guys, kids that grew up with a, a mother and father that are both doctors, white guy, no, no, played it, no, 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 no. that, that, that don't have to struggle like these kids. These it's, not so kids. Mother, it's not even so much a mother and father. They, they, they're, already, they're already well off. So it's well, easy, that's what you know, I'm saying. It's, it's, they're already well off. They're already well Because, see, the biggest hypocrite, the biggest pimp is, is uh, that double-talking Bible, uh, uh, Bible hypocrite Dabo Sweeney. Oh God! He had said he had said you know I'll quit my job if they start paying kids. No, you know what? Give up your million dollar salary, you pimp. 
you hypocritic yep. simp. You and and yeah. and remember, this is a guy that was a member of Alabama's championship teams back in the day. So he knows what the deal is. He knows exactly yep. what the deal is. So for him to come on and to and and to and to be, you know, you know, I, I'll I'll sell my soul before I let these kids make money. You sold your soul years ago, Dabo. And he's soul. also the guy. He's also the guy that said that you know if you don't come play for me, you're gonna be pumping gas at the gas station. He's also the guy that doesn't not, want not, his kids not. to wear any social justice t-shirts. He's also the guy who mm-hmm. basically uh, said you kneel. I have a problem with with athletes kneeling uh, uh, during the flag. So that that exactly. I have no love. Well, no, no, his inner his inner redneck is out there and. And to his credit, that was Lane Kiffin that actually had the uh, that said the whole gas uh, thing about South Carolina. That was actually Lane Kiffin that said that. Right, Sweeney said something along those lines. So yeah, I yeah, think yeah, you're right. Similar. Kiffin said well, the and, gas and, station part. He's another one. Of, you know, when they when they brought up the social justice, he's the one that 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 tried to that evoked Dr. King. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. You know. Yeah. It's 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 ridiculous, but like I said, they don't they they don't want to pay these kids because they're looking at um, Joe White guy who comes from money, like you said, and so they can afford to stay there for four years. They can afford to not take any money because they got mommy and daddy or daddy or mommy taking care of them, whatever. But they don't they don't factor in these kids that come from places where forget the fact they might be the first kid to get to college or graduate from college, but actually a kid that wants to take care of their family. Why not pay them? They doing all the work anyway. You know, it's it but they don't factor those things in. Well, because usually, you know, unfortunately, let's, let's a lot of the kids look, are look like us. Let's, let's uh, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. They still look at these kids, you know, as as one of our colleagues has said several times, it's the hundred yard, it's the hundred yard plantation, and they're the guys with yep. the, and they're the guys that still wear the big white hats, and and do their own version of mandingo and drum with these players, plain and simple. That hasn't changed, yeah. you know. Because nope. see, Clemson, for all whatever, with you know, Clemson was on the outside looking in for a long period of time. But then when you know Dabo came in there, I mean, I, I give him credit as a coach and as a recruiter. But he's no more of a pimp. I mean, he's gonna smile in your face and and maybe he'll sing. You know, maybe he knows the words to some Negro spirituals so he can you know. So he can, you know, BS, you know, big mama and whatever. So, you know, we're going to take care of your boy. But at the end of the day, his neck is just as red as all these other guys. Maybe even more so because he's literally because he because he knows how the game is played. Because, see, he's a former player. He's been where these guys are. And his whole thing is, you know, he still looks at these kids at subservient. Remember, this is the same guy that um, the guy who followed um, Deshaun Watson, even though he got him to the championship game, he had no problem, you know, uh, shoving uh, Trevor, uh, um, Trevor Lawrence down um, there, and and made the and, and made that kid transfer. So no, he's 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 you know, he's a hypocrite. He's an absolute yeah. hypocrite. And you're right. He was on that that Nick Saban. Uh, 
team that the same Nick Saban that couldn't handle the pros and pros basically not buying into his foolishness. Actually, 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 he was it was Gene Stallings. It was the Gene Stallings team. Oh, it's the G's. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that Stallings. was Stallings. So yeah, one year, Stallings. Stallings actually won the title. You're right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the, but you know the Nick Saban, uh, uh, Sabian, uh, the guy who quit the Dolphins because he couldn't handle, went back to the plantation so he control some of these oh, these players. Hey, he wasn't gonna have no black guy making more money than him and and telling him what to do. That's his right. job. Right. That's his job. He, you know that if if I, the we talked about the NCAA and the fact that they're you know insignificant and they they have no power. Why not you know do the governing body type thing like the U.S. Track and Field and and, and others that have that that power as a governing body type of thing and go that route. Truth be truth be told, they're just as toothless as well. They're just well the they, they they I mean they send you they're put this way. They're, they're, I mean, put it this way. They're sort of like what, when, when, like what Frank Robinson and Bob Watson were working for Major League Baseball as the, uh, as, as the dolers, they, they dole out the discipline they're there for. And to make sure that they, you know, um, keep the quote unquote sanctions. Because remember, all these teams do something. But it always seems like it's the small black schools that get hit the hardest, you know. They'll, you know, right. Look, they for all for all that people want to bring out with SMU, Texas and Texas A&M and all those other South old Southwestern Conference teams were doing the same thing that SMU was doing. The the thing was they were beating the big boys at their game, and they got punished. Right. They ain't like that. Exactly. I remember that, that that documentary. I think it was a thirty for thirty or something like oh, that. Pony, was the uh, Pony, 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 Pony Express, Pony. Craig James and Eric Dickerson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, all that was was a text. It was tech, basically Texas, Texas A and M, and all those other. How dare you beat us, out cheat us? And they basically had the NC. And <laughs> now, now, now SMU, now SMU didn't help themselves by saying, like, you know. They told them a couple of, hey, you know, y'all need to really just, you know, chill. And they was like, okay, we will. And then they just kept on doing it. But but the thing was, yeah. see, their whole thing was, we've been getting our ass kicked by these teams for years on and off the court. Now we do it once. We get and, and to a lesser extent, SMU is still recovering from that. Right. And then remember, they got hit uh, not too long ago. Uh, with, with racial things and and other stuff in their their program, so they've been in the death sentence for for quite some time. Uh, you know, even that after that, so you, you're right about that. But it, it's going to be interesting how the rest of this this goes. Uh, if they if the other Power Fives haven't come out now, they probably won't. That they'll play. And you're well, right. You're well, I don't. I, what what day? What what if, again? Game, you know, they're talking about September. You know, a lot can happen between now and then. A lot yeah. can happen between now and then. So just because now, what's today? Today's the uh, August thirteenth. You know, as, as corny as it may sound, stay tuned. Yeah, it it could happen. But I I was gonna say if they do play, 
And God forbid something happens, then you're, All you're right. All it takes is it's one. All it takes is one. It's going to be hell to pay. It's going to be some hell to pay somewhere. T, as always, I appreciate you, brother. Be safe. Love you, man. I'll talk with you next week, man. Take care. All right. Tony T. Mac McLean, the uh, editor-chief of BASN Newsroom here on the Bastard News Radio Show. You miss any part of the broadcast. Uh, you need to go to our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. The T H E Bachelor B A T C H E L O R News dot airtime dot pro. This broadcast airs every day at eight AM and three PM Eastern Standard Time at that website. So if you missed it live here on Facebook, you're watching. Big ups to Alice Pitt, at least talked to her in a long time, good friend. Long time uh friend. From, from the neighborhood And others on Facebook uh, You can watch it there And of course if you miss it live You can go to our website TheBachelorNews.Airtime.Pro TheBachelorNews.Airtime.Pro Next Monday we will talk with Commissioner Jackie Mc, McWilliams uh, She's the commissioner of the CIAA Get her thoughts on The conference shutting down Fall sports including Especially football Due to COVID-19 and uh, some other great guests coming up uh, next week. Don't forget, tomorrow morning, Locker Talk with Barry Barnes. His guest will be Adrian Jones, head football coach at Shaw University, talk about their program, what they're doing, speaking of CIAA, in the midst of this virus. Enjoy the rest of your day, your weekend. This evening, we'll close out with music as we always do. On the Bastion News Radio Show, the Bastion News Radio Network.
Oh, oh, oh. 